Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Sit yourselves comfortably because this is a hell of a long rip with your friend and mine, Owls lacrosse uber pleb from bitcoin twitter who has my goodness what an amount of knowledge about different areas of life and experiences that he is so willing and happy to share and go into some deep topics with me about it was a pleasure to actually get to meet al in well not in real life you know across zoom but better than dming each other so i hope you really enjoy this he is the host of Dirt Bag Friday. There's at least 200 members in his Telegram group, a band of merry Bitcoiners. So definitely go and check that out. Before we get into this rip, I want to give a shout out to CoinFloor in the UK. CoinFloor.co.uk, Bitcoin only exchange. I want to give a shout out to SwanBitcoin.com forward slash bitten a DCA service, an app in the US that you can use to start stacking sats. You can smash by with them as well. And please keep an eye on them. They might turn up in Europe or across the rest of the world soon. Across Europe, relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. Go exchange your euros before Christine Lagarde prints them to absolute zero value and get some Bitcoin, start stacking some sats. And then once you have these sats, get them off these exchanges, get them off the apps because you want to take control. You can do that with shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Go choose the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition wallet. Now, let's get to Al. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. The, um, how do you want to introduce yourself, Al? Um, I, I'll just say I, I'm Al's lacrosse, uh, lacrosse underscore Al on Twitter. Um, I am the host of Dirtbag Friday, which is the best pleb meetup in the Bitcoin space. Um, done a little bit of writing, a little bit of opinionating on Twitter, um, but mainly people would know me from Dirtbag Friday. I, I, I think you're missing out a, a huge part of your life story there. Where, weren't you... Uh, coach to uh, some little bitch well, named Marty at some stage. Lauren is scandalized. <laughs> I, I don't like to uh, talk about him too much. But yeah, there, there are rumors that once upon a time was, uh, was a student of mine. Um, you'd be amazed at how many people ask me that question and ask me if that's real. Um, just for the record, it's not real. But uh, yeah, that was, I, I was born um, in November of 2019, I believe it was, when, uh, when Marty was getting some letters from, from fans to TFTC saying, we, you're looking up this charity you keep talking about, Owls Across, and uh, we can't find it. So he had to come on and tell everyone it's owls like the bird. And that's when who was born. That's why Marty hoots like an owl. Um, that night, I created the, uh, the Owls Across Twitter account. Um, I said something about Marty that I'm not going to repeat in front of a child. 
uh, Marty retweeted it and, uh, and Al's across was born. So I spent a lot of the time uh, at first kind of just goofing on Marty and then, you know, had some more serious opinions later. But uh, my other Twitter account, which I don't really use anymore, I spent, you know, two and a half years trying to talk seriously about Bitcoin and nobody listened. I became Al and all of a sudden everybody cared. So worked out pretty well for me. Nicely done. Okay, Lauren, we won't give you any longer. What is your question? I didn't write it down there. Why did you write it then? Over there. Oh. You, oh yeah. the, for the listeners, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to like yeah. uh, reveal a little bit of the uh, <laughs> the prep so, here. So, what is in? Trish, can't read that. <laughs> uh, I know where we're going with this. So if we cut it here in Trin. Is that a C? Uh, yeah, at the end. Oh, yeah. in intrinsic. Voila. Okay, so what is intrinsic value? So I've been told you're the most notoriously difficult interview in Bitcoin and, and you've lived up to your reputation. We couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't start with an easy question now, like, you know, what's your dog's name or anything like that. It had to be. I just want to point out that um, you are such a good sidekick that you were actually uh, prearranging the time that you should bring a beer during the interview, which I thought was great that you got, got that out of the way. Your your father has you well practiced with this. Um, So you're referring to an article I wrote for Bitcoin magazine. Oh, you've already got it. So that would be beer number two that she's bringing. I'm actually, uh, ginger sparkling water at the moment i'm on a Mm -hmm. somewhat temporary no alcohol kick that's been going for a while so we'll see how that goes well we'll go down that rabbit hole Uh, yeah so um so i i wrote an article for bitcoin magazine um basically the premise of it is when we when we talk about um gold versus bitcoin and how gold has intrinsic value and bitcoin doesn't um i think that we're mistaking examples of things which provide intrinsic value for the concept of intrinsic value. So it gets a little bit, it's a little bit um, esoteric. It's almost like uh, Plato or something like that, where you have these like, you know, out in the ether, you have this, this concept. Um, And my assertion is that intrinsic value is not the properties of gold, like it's luster or electrical conductivity, that sort of thing. Those are examples of things which taken together form intrinsic value. I think intrinsic value is the, uh, it's sort of an emergent property from those other properties. So it's like, um, I called it a meta property in the article, um, which resists a money being messed with on the whims of an individual or a government or a king or anything like that. Um, And when you look at it through that lens, I think Bitcoin actually does have lots of intrinsic value, even though it's not a thing you can hold in your hand. Um, because it is full of these properties which resist being messed with by a government or an individual or, or whatever. So when you when you transact with someone in gold, if it's real gold, you know what it's going to be. You know, you're always going to get this thing that's an element that has certain properties to it, as long as it's the real thing, you know. Um, and that's what makes it one of the things which makes it so valuable as a money. I, I guess all of the things, really, because its scarcity is also an outgrowth of its of its physical properties. Um, so I, I don't know if you know this, Lauren, but gold, one of the ways that gold, that gold is actually made is when, uh, I think it's when 
supernovas or neutron stars crash into each other, um, which barely ever happens in the universe, but you need that much energy to force atoms of gold together because it's, it's such a heavy atom. Um, but that's why there's not much of it because the way that it's made is, is very rare in nature. So everything, you know, everything in the world is made in some form of that way in a star, but, but this, this takes very, very powerful, big, heavy stars to make. So, um, but that, that's a, that's a physical property of gold that lends, that lends itself to building intrinsic value. So someday some economists will read that and say that, I don't know what I'm talking about and whatever. I'm happy to have that debate. Um, you know, if, if I'm so lucky, but, uh, I, I do think it's an important thing to think about because people talk about all the time of like, does Bitcoin have intrinsic value? Um, there are people who say that it doesn't, and that's a good thing. And I, I get their argument where they're coming from. Um, you know, it's not, it's not competing with industrial uses or anything like that. It's only its usefulness, it's, it's properties, which make it monetarily useful. Um, and I, I get that argument, but I, I do think that, that as a concept, gold does, or I'm sorry, Bitcoin does have intrinsic value. So that's a long answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren's uh, fallen asleep, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So, no, uh, oh, here she is. She's back. Daddy, <laughs> I was like, asked me like if, uh, you know, if, if Marty uh, brought good snacks for the team or something like that. But... <laughs> yeah. do, do you have... Anything further that you would like to uh, prize out of, of Al around the, the subject of intrinsic value before, before you head off? Or any other question yeah, can, for, for Uncle Al? A whole variety of subjects. You can call him Uncle Al because Al's name is your name. Oh. Wait, hold on. One, two, three, four. I, I don't think. I think... No, it's not my real name. <laughs> that would be an amazing coincidence if it was. But my daughters say, you know, I say to it's funny. I say to my daughters all the time, just be careful, you know, for please, for the love of God, be careful who you're hanging out online with, whether it's Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. It's like, you know, yeah, okay, daddy, okay, daddy, we understand. What are you doing tonight? Interviewing rando people from yeah. Bitcoin Twitter I've never met in my life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> who are using I'm pseudonyms? Yeah. I'm trying to remember who I was listening to yesterday who uh, who said that you know your whole life you're you're told not to get into cars with strangers and not to talk to strangers on the internet. And now I think was it on your show? It may have been. Um, but uh, but now you call a stranger on the internet to come pick you up in a car that you get into, not knowing who it is. So right. the world has changed a bit in that. But, but yeah, that, that's all this topic we can talk about is because I, you know, I, I have a son who's way too young to use computers right now, but we'll have to think about at that point, you know, what's the world going to be like when you, when you do that. Absolutely. We are, we are going to go down that rabbit hole too. But before we do, Lauren, uh, is there anything that you would like to ask Al before you head off? No. And we, we, by the way, I, I want to let you know, I leave these long protracted pauses in the show because I think that's what, you know, is endearing to the listeners. You can, you can follow, you could follow Marty's route and say you're going to edit it out, but never do. <laughs> that's the way that he handles it. You know what's crazy, actually? Marty was one of the uh, very first people to agree to come on the show, which uh, is you know, a, a great stand-up gesture for for a fellow podcaster and somebody of Marty standing within the community. 
and you never got to meet him because at that point you hadn't shown uh, that much interest in the, in the podcast project. So we're going to have to ask Uncle Marty back on. Can you do an owl impression? What does an owl sound like? Uh, I'm terrible. What do I, in, in your mind, believe me, it's probably going to be way better than, than Uncle Marty's. <laughs> Just give it a go. Um, I'm trying to find... Well, we, we hear them in the garden I'm, I'm all the time. Are they going to do male or female? Yes, you see. Oh, look at this. Really... <laughs> yeah, this is this is homeschooling, ladies and gentlemen. I learned anthropology. Right. So, and we live. We, we've got a forest right next door. So, okay. Well, why don't you do uh, a male and a female talking to each other? Oh no, because I don't know the male, uh, the females that much. Mm -hmm. But the male is just the the one that goes like tweet tweet tweet. Okay, well, put a little bit of you know, rub a little stank on it. Don't, don't just give me <laughs> the tweet tweet. Come on, <laughs> look, Al's Al's hungry. Look, he, he wants a little more than that. <laughs> but that's it. That's all I have. Come on, rev it up. A director's chair with a bullhorn. Come on to the back of the crowd. <laughs> go for it. I can't. You can't That's okay. Do you, do you want me to go first? Yeah. And then Al, and then you, yeah? I can't do it. You don't think so? Okay. Woo! <laughs> Over to Al. <laughs> Lauren. Woo! <laughs> That's so, so Lauren, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna see Marty in a few weeks, I think. Um, so I'll tell him he's gotta listen to this uh, and yeah. come on and do one live with you. I, I, I have I, a question I, for you. Yeah. So so uh, living in France, are you fluent in French? <laughs> no. No. I how, am how good not. would you say? Uh, say your your French is? Let's say, like, maybe still well, I mean, I can understand better than speaking. This, this, this boils down to the question of, you know, how would you define being fluent in a language? Can you go, you're going to a birthday party tomorrow, right? Yeah. There's going to be, like, four or five other kids. And then we're going to stay over. And you're going to stay over. Are you going to be able to converse with them? Yeah. In, yeah. Well, then you're fluent in my book. Like, I am not, I, I would argue uh, Al and I are not even fluent in English. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to, well, to. I mean, your, your people so, speak with that accent. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Some, sometimes <laughs> I forget the word in English and then they say it in French and I'm like, blah, 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 something French. And then just carry on speaking in English. And they're like, but, what? Yeah. The reason that I ask is because I, I would say it, it's a big regret of mine that I never learned to speak another language as a kid. Um, because, you know, America is so huge that you could drive for three days and you're still in America. So, you know, the, I don't know. I think a lot of people think that Americans don't learn foreign languages because we're snobby about it. And I think it's more that we just don't need to. Because if you drive your car for eight hours in Europe, you're probably in a country that speaks a different language, right? Mm. You do that in America and it's still, it's still English. So um, I, I studied a little bit of, of foreign language in school, but I, you know, that was a long time ago and I can barely understand. I spoke a little bit of German, but not, not very much at all. Yeah, I only know one word in German. Oh yeah? What's, yeah. what's that? Nine. 
that means no. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the, that's the first word you want to learn. <laughs> yeah, they, they like rules. They're, they're known as sticklers for, for rules. Exactly. Um, so, to, so I would say you are fluent in French. For as, fluent, as fluent as you need to be for you to be able to converse with your friends and have a good time at the birthday party and understand what their mom and dad are asking you and whatever else. For me, that's fluency. Well, when they say something, my brain just turns it into English. That's how I understand. Uh, So, yeah, there's, um, you know, there's nuance to everything, Al, right? As we've, uh, I'm learning learning Japanese. Have you got your bingo card out? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nuance to everything. There's there's many layers. Okay. But it is it is fascinating though. I mean, it gives you a lot of respect for for authors who you know who are not native English speakers who write novels in English. Uh, was it Joseph Conrad who wrote Heart of Darkness? Was Polish originally? Um, Ayn Rand was Russian originally. You know, so they're not just making their way through the store in a foreign language. They're writing gigantic novels in in foreign language. And let's apply that to today, right? Um, some of the writers we have in the space this is not their native tongue and uh, i'm going to point mm-hmm. to uh gigi and yeah. uh Knuts von holm who have done countless articles and produced books as well in a language that's not their own tackling a subject that is so complex cal rosenberg as well uh with uh grokking bitcoin and um i apologize to the other authors right yeah i'm i'm about halfway through it yeah <laughs> It's, right <laughs> it's on my bedside and I'm halfway through it and it's, uh, it's proving to be so helpful. So, yeah. so helpful. And it, for these guys to tackle this subject, which is hard enough to, do you want to head off? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because so we, you, you can feel we're going to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm like, then now we're going to stop talking. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you. Bye. Lauren, if you're yep. in, in Miami, I will I will buy you a sparkling water. How about that? <laughs> yeah, okay. That sure. sounds great. We yes. we hope to make it there. I don't we? really want to go. Mm-hmm. Like I really want to go mm-hmm. in the summer, but Daddy says we're not sure yet, which is kind of yeah, annoying because I really want to go. It's it's not down to me. It's the overlords and what they decide. Um, I will do everything to find a hack to get around any kind of obstacles go, so that we can get there beach like we were going to go to one but then mm-hmm. the government said we can only stay 10 kilometers mm. from our house mm. <clears throat> dog on a leash yeah mm-hmm. and it would be great to go to the beach in I- miami and meet all these guys and meet everyone that you've spoken to on the podcast and go to the conference and hang out and see bitcoiners yeah, and hit the 100K party as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. Yeah, Off you go. Chad. <laughs> Uncle Chad, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, thank you anyways. Bye. See ya. Uh, thanks, Lauren. Shit, what rabbit hole were we just about to head down? Well, we were talking about uh, foreigners writing in English. Yes. Um, Truly amazing. It is super impressive. I mean, the, the ability um, to communicate, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about this a whole lot of like how important it is, the, the ability to communicate a thought clearly and how to like, to really, really crystallize 
thought into, you know, a, a simple sentence um, without losing anything in the compression is it really is such an amazing skill. I mean, it, it, it's a, it changes the world um, in, in the way that, you know, I, I think memes, we, uh, we kind of joke about, or obviously a lot of memes are meant to be funny, but they are so, so powerful because it's like, there are memes that communicate a five minute discussion, you know, if you really know the background on it into this, like one little picture, one little kind of winky joke, but it's like, it makes people go, aha, when they see it, it's, it's so important um, to be able to communicate clearly. And I, I'm so impressed by these guys like Gigi or, or Knut, um, who can, who can write in a language that wasn't the language they were raised with and, and still um, be so clear because you know how it is with Bitcoin when somebody wants to know about Bitcoin and there's 80 million aspects and you want to talk about them all at once. And, you, and I, I do this all the time and I start going in 50 different directions to be able to be, to have your, your spiel um, just so clear and crystallized um, in a language that isn't even your native language is, is to me is uh, it's like magic. I mean, it's, it's, it's really impressive as somebody who doesn't speak more than one language. So. I am, I am trying it at the moment in French. So what I've done with my, I have a French teacher that I Zoom with a couple of times a week uh, and my wife uses her as well. And she's, she's brilliant. We love her. And I was just trying to think, uh, I need to find a way to speak more about a subject I am passionate about. Bam, Bitcoin and wow, double light bulb. I can now use this as an excuse to orange pill her at the same time. So I set her the yeah. task of find some Bitcoin articles in French. I'm going to read them to you to test my pronunciation. And then we can work on my comprehension. And, you know, I've told her my, my ultimate goal for this year is to go on stage at a Bitcoin conference in France and deliver a speech in French about Bitcoin and be comprehensible, you know, put myself way out of the comfort zone yeah that that's a that's an impressive goal i mean it, it's it's a deep goal on a lot of levels and it, it it could be difficult but you really have an incentive now it's kind of like what music teachers do when they tell they'll tell kids you know if they're good teachers bring in songs that you like and we'll learn how to play them as opposed to um you know when uh if you look at songbooks for like beginning musicians it's always these old songs where the copyrights expired but it's stuff nobody cares about. It's like Jimmy Crack Corn or some like, you know, some kid's song from the 1800s that no kid wants to learn how to play, play that song. Um, so a good teacher will say, well, bring, bring me stuff from bands that you like and we'll learn how to play. And it gives you, you know, that extra push to really, to really want to know how to do it. Right, so we touched on this at the beginning with your response to, um, you, know, I, you know, obviously I lined you up massively with that, with that question. Uh, that was yeah no but that's, <laughs> that's that's certainly fair I mean, I, if i can't no honestly if you can't explain it to a child i mean that's kind of like what you're talking about of learning to communicate if you most ideas if you can't explain it to a kid maybe you need to go back to the drawing board and and find a way to explain it better but i do want to delve into your article because i, I really loved it and that i've got a paragraph uh, excuse me a sentence highlighted here which i want to kind of go into uh because i think it was where exactly where your brain was at when you were doing this uh, and i'll read it to you just now um much as we discussed 
earlier regarding gold's scarcity being underpinned by stellar physics, Bitcoin's scarcity is underpinned by mathematics. Rules written into the nature of reality, which bow to no man's influence. I mean, you know, what was going on up in that dome of yours when you were writing this out and what research were you going down and what kind of epiphanies were dropping for you? Well, a lot of that, you know, I honestly think the genesis of that article was like the proverbial shower thought. Um, I, I honestly think I was probably showering one day and it just popped in my head of like, well, Bitcoin kind of does have intrinsic value when you think about it. And then I spent about two and a half months or so thinking about it. Um, I don't know why it just, I was hesitant to write it down and, and all that. And um, I think when I'm in practice, I'm a pretty decent writer. That particular article I thought was okay, but it wasn't, you know, I, I need to polish up my writing a little bit better because I haven't been doing much of it lately. But, um, you know, I, it is, if you think about math, it is on the same plane as physics in terms of um, that being underpinned by the nature of the universe. So, you know, just as physics is not really a human invention, it's just a descriptor of what the universe is. Um, and math even more so, I guess you could say that physics derives ultimately from math. And I'm not a super mathematical person, so I, I can't really argue deep levels of math, but I think it's fair to say that, you know, math is, math is a, um, is an outgrowth of the nature of reality. You know, it, it, on, on some level, yes, it's something that humans made up, um, you know, in a way that they could understand, but humans didn't make up math. The rules of math were there, whether it's by God or mother nature or whatever, you know, is the higher power. Um, that's what set the rules of math. It's not us. And it doesn't matter how many armies you have, how many guns you have. It doesn't matter what social pressure says. You know, it doesn't matter whose group this gives favor or advantage to. It just is what it is. Um, and that's what, that's ultimately what you're looking for in, in money um, and what you're looking for in gold, right? It's that gold doesn't suddenly become something else because the king says so. Um, and that's why gold was a money for, what are, what are we saying, about five, 6,000 years, something like that. Um, and we, you know, it's, it kind of sounds crazy when you talk about Bitcoin eating gold's value and replacing it as a money. Um, but we, I think we just do happen to be living in that time. Like we talk about Lindy effects and all that, but Lindy doesn't mean that something can never end. Do, should we talk about what Lindy means for anybody or do we just assume everything? Do it. Yeah. So I, I, I think, was it Taleb who, who popularized the term? Um, very popular bitcoiner yeah uh yeah thank you i think his writings are well known among most bitcoiners but the the concept of lindy is basically saying if something's been around a long time it probably means it's going to keep being around a long time um because there's probably something to it whereas something that's only been around for a short time the odds of it still being here in a few years are much smaller than something that's been around for a thousand years or five thousand years um but that doesn't mean that it can't end or that it can't change and I think we just happen to be living in that time when it's when that's going to change, which is fascinating. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's it comes down to the way that 
these physical materials that we have always been our standard, um, they're underpinned by something that's written into nature, which is the physical properties of these stars and how they produce this element and at what rarity and, and what the properties of the element are. Bitcoin is not a physical thing, but math is also, I would say you could argue it's an even deeper level than physics. Um, like I said earlier, physics is sort of an outgrowth of, of math. So it's not a, um, some of this I'm just thinking of now as we're talking about it. So bear with me as I formulate this idea in my head. But Please, this not, is beautiful, it's, it's, it's the, the beautiful a, mind unfolding. Uh, it's it's not a it's not sort of a discount version of what you get from gold. It's not a lesser version of that power. It's actually a stronger version of it, because you're kind of moving up the ladder, right? So if, if you've read, um, I've got this right here too, uh, Laird Money, Nick Body's book, which is a, I super highly recommend it to everybody. He talks about the financial system in terms of layers. Um, if you want to talk about you know the underpinnings of intrinsic value, maybe that's an even higher layer. You know, the, the math is the ultimate, ultimate layer um, because math is just another word we have for the nature of the universe. And then physics is sort of subservient to that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it's not, you know, it's not sort of a, uh, a poor man's gold for no pun intended. Um, it's an even more powerful version of those properties, I think. And you know, we think about those things now because it's important to think about them now. Eventually, I think that'll just come to be accepted. Um, but right now you have to explain that to people because they don't get like, well, this is just something you just made up, right? Like, well, no, it's it's more powerful than that. I, I always it, think that, go ahead. I was going to say, and in the piece, you, you, you bring up like, uh, again, I'll read it. Uh, Bitcoin, the gold bugs argue, has none of these things, none of like these these tangible things that you're talking about, um, the, the atoms and the uh, uh, conductivity and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's just letters and numbers on a screen. You can't touch it, throw it, or form it into something. This thinking isn't wrong, but the conclusions they draw is like the hominids primitive. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I said earlier, I think that even you know, even a, a hominid ancestor of ours, you know, Neanderthals or whatever, could um, could understand that something is useful if you can make stuff out of it or eat it or whatever it is. Um, and that's, that's not wrong, right? And the, the gold bugs weren't, this is where I, I, I have a little bit of a soft spot for them. Um, I know we kind of like to fight with Peter Schiff now um, because he's trolling everybody, but, uh, but, you know, they, they weren't wrong. That was what we had for almost all of their life. That was the best option that we had. Um, and they weren't wrong about that. You know, I, I, at one point thought that about, you know, gold is the way too, but that was before there was Bitcoin. Um, so it is hard to wrap your head around. I think, you know, some of these Austrian economists who haven't really gotten into Bitcoin, I kind of feel sorry for them because it's like the thing you've been fighting for your entire life is happening now and you don't even realize it. Um, and maybe it's because you don't want to realize it. And those guys, I don't feel too sorry for that sort of like, because it wasn't your idea, you won't acknowledge it. But, um, but some of them, it's just, it's really hard to get your idea, your head around this idea of this thing that is intangible is what you've been talking about. Like, this is the, this is the hero you've been waiting for. Um, but you're just not capable of it because you've spent 60 years talking about gold and, you know, 
if I had done that too, if I had spent a whole career talking about that, maybe I wouldn't want to know about Bitcoin either. But, you know, I wish all these guys could get on board with it and, and celebrate and be like, oh, my God, this is this thing. My whole life I've been fighting for this and it's finally here. But, you know, humans are flawed creatures and it's there's there's a lot of emotional baggage that comes along with some of that. And to that point as well, and this is, I, this may sound kind of weird to American people um, because you've probably heard Peter McCormack say this as well. Like, I had no idea what libertarianism was. And yeah. I've heard Peter say that. And I, I just didn't. Um, I, I've been blessed, in, in fact, by never being drawn to be political i've always seen it as just like what you know what a bunch of nonsense it just seems to me that whoever's in power is going to end up doing a generally bad job anyway and then people go out and vote for the next guy and you know i, I grew up in england and, and kind of watched this i grew up watching um i mean obviously i remember thatcher and then along came major and then along came blair and it just all seemed like the, the same kind of generic bs to me like you know boring people in suits talking about boring stuff you know i left the uk when i was 21 just yeah just the end of my 21st year and when i built a career in singapore where there wasn't this exposure to politics because that is pretty much just a, a one family party over there and then to fall into the bitcoin rabbit hole and fall into this kind of like what's this whole libertarianism thing but what you just said then as well like imagine being a gold bug and an austrian economist and not seeing the light that the bitcoin is shining straight down your you know right retina yeah. the same thing is happening with the libertarian guys or the and again a new bunch of people anarcho cap guys what the hell is that you know it's um yeah I, what's I, going I on know, why, why are they missing it <laughs> Yeah, the, the AMCAP guys, uh, there's a few of them in, in my in my group, in the uh, Dirtbag Friday group, and they're they're working on me for sure. Uh, <laughs> I have I have some concerns and questions about how it would actually be in, implemented, but I, I do get at the root where they're coming from on that. But I mean, I, I can speak as somebody who, since I was a kid, I was kind of interested in, in those things. Um, I was interested in, I was always very interested in current events um, for uh, got as far back as I can remember. Um, I mean, I was, I was a kid. I wasn't a little kid, but I, I was a kid when the first Gulf War happened. I remember that just being on TV 24 seven, um, you know, and, and watching that. And it's, you know, as a, as a kid who has any interest in the world at all, it's like you're combining at that time. It was like, we're going to put a war together with like a video game because we would watch all those all those videos of um, you know camera you know nose camera from missiles going into vents on buildings and all that um, and it was it was fascinating to me to watch that um, but I I was really interested in there there used to be I mean there was Reason magazine had a paper publication like a traditional magazine I think they're online only now but they were they're an American libertarian magazine. Um, there were a couple others. Um, I think there was one called Liberty that was just like a newsprint one and you could get that at the bookstore. And that's where I really started to learn about Austrian economists as I was a kid reading this stuff. And then, you know, reading um, a lot of the nonfiction essays by Ayn Rand, 
Um, I went backwards with Rem. I, I read her nonfiction actually before I read her novels, um, which obviously in, in real life, that wasn't the way it went. She was a novelist first and then explained her ideas. But um, that stuff made me very interested in it. And I, uh, you know, I, I wasn't reading like human action or something like that at that age, but I, I understood, I had read essays that talk about the general ideas in it. I wasn't reading the whole long form. Um, and I, I was pretty interested in that stuff. And then I just more and more kept feeling like, but this is never gonna happen. Um, you know, we're, we're never gonna go to a gold standard. They're just not gonna let us do it um, because there's too many interests, you know, it's, it's going to take the whole world to just have to collapse into Mad Max before we did that. And, um, and then around the time of the 08 financial crisis, I just watched things going, I mean, you know, it seems quaint now, but Money Printer went into overdrive back then um, in a way that at that point, we'd never seen anything like that. Now it seems like a joke, but, um, you know, just thinking like, well, it's, it's over. Like they're, they're not going to have any responsibility. Um, there was very briefly in the US a movement for fiscal responsibility, uh, the Tea Party. Um, and I mean, I, I feel like they were largely kind of slandered in the media um, and treated as like insane. You know, if they said, there are people who could say, we want to get um, deficit spending under control. And it's like, oh, they're Nazis. Like, okay, but are we going to have this discussion of can, can you spend $20 billion if you don't have $20 billion and just do that forever? Um, you know, but, uh, but that movement eventually kind of fizzled out and that was it. That, like there really is no, no important movement in the United States at this point for fiscal responsibility in any party. It just becomes like, what flavor of extreme irresponsibility do you want to vote for? There's, you know, R Ron Paul is one man, you know, he, he's, and he's not going to be the president. Sorry, everybody who wanted Ron Paul for president, but that's never going to happen. So, you know, we have to look uh, for going outside the system on that. And Bitcoin it is. It took me a while to figure that out, but, but it is. What led you here, mate? Because you, you're clearly a well-read young man, very, very curious. Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure I'm, out. I'm Bitcoin old, by the way. I'm not young. <laughs> I was told by Matt O'Dell that I am Bitcoin old. Um, I mean, what, I, I'm not, what, I'm how, not, how old are you? are you? Are you ready to dox that? Uh, or, you know, I know you've already appeared on uh, and you've been on stage and, and whatever else. Yeah, and... I, I, I'm early 40s. Okay. I'm, so, I am within, I think we figured out, I am within a few months of Peter McCormick. Um, I met him a couple of years ago in real life, and I think we figured out that we're within a few months of each other. So I'm, I'm that age. Okay. Um, so my, my journey was the classic three touches. Um, you know, people talk about the three touches. And the first time I heard someone say that, I'm like, no, I wasn't three touches. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, no, I was. Um, <laughs> Huh. Read a uh, read a magazine called Wired. I don't know if you guys, mm -hmm. it still exists, but it's not really what it used to be. In Kevin the, Kelly, uh, right? Yeah, like in the '90s, um, you know, Wired was like the magazine. If you were into like the Internet Revolution and all that, like that was the magazine. Um, I want to say probably in like probably was around 2010 or so. They did an article on Bitcoin that I saw, and. Um, my understanding of it, I, I need to go back and read that article now, knowing what I know now, and to see like whether it just wasn't well written or if I just didn't get it.
But um, my takeaway from it was I thought it was some sort of like in-game token um, because I think they talked about it being used in video games and um, people were, uh, you know, trading skins and video games for it and all that. And I, I wasn't really playing online video games, but I, I just thought it was like Sony or somebody made this thing called the Bitcoin and you could use it to pay for stuff in, in a game. Did not get at all the monetary properties. I didn't know about the 21 million cap. I didn't understand it's like true decentralized nature. And I don't know if that was me or if that was the article. So I, I don't want to totally blame the article, uh, but I just, I didn't get it. So my second touch um, was in my previous career, we had an employee um, who I don't remember if we fired him or he quit, but he wasn't working for us anymore. But some of the other employees were living with him and he was a big gamer. I knew that. And I, I had asked them, uh, what's he doing now? And they said, well, he, he, he uh, they said, have you heard of Bitcoin? I'm like, I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. And they said, well, he plays, he plays video games and he makes money, he makes Bitcoin and, and he, that's what he lives on. That was probably like 2013, um, maybe 2012. So I, uh, I wonder, um, you know, I, I'd love to get in touch with him and see what he's got or if he's still interested in Bitcoin. So, um, and then my third touch was probably 20. 16. I'd have to look up the date, but it was um, it was the second time that that Andreas was on Joe Rogan's show. Um, I wasn't listening to Joe Rogan's podcast the first time Andreas was on, so I missed that. But the uh, the first time or the second time he was on, um, so for me it was like, you know how when you see um, you'll probably appreciate this because you're British but when you see musicians from the 70s or whatever. Um, Think of whether it's like Zeppelin or any of those bands, and they ask them like, "How did you? How did you get into being a band?" I I want to say like I've seen like Ozzy, even Ozzy Osbourne say this, where um, he'll say like, "Well, you know, I was a kid, and I was sitting at home and watching television, and this band called the Beatles came on, and the next day I had to run out and buy a guitar." And there's so many super famous people to tell you that, that was hearing Andreas on Joe Rogan was like my Beatles moment. It was like. I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, holy Christ. Um, and that was when I just, I just became obsessed after that. Um, and I, it went to being like, I really want to learn more about this to like, oh my God, this is the thing. This is the real thing. Like, this is what's going to matter. Like this. Is, and I, I understood that pretty early on. Um, right around the time that I was getting into all that was when like ICO mania started and the fork started and all that. And I think I was probably mercifully not knowledgeable enough yet to start taking stances on that stuff um, and to, you know, to go down those paths. Um, so I, I kind of stayed, you know, I stayed on the right path. Um, always like everybody, it's like, oh, I wish I knew then what I do now. Um, you know, instead of buying a uh, hundred dollars that month, I would have bought a thousand dollars and all that. <laughs> but you can't keep going back and kicking yourself for that because everyone's going to have that story forever. You know, we're, we're going to have, what are we at like 60 K today or something like that? Um, you know, next year there's people who are going to go, Holy Christ, you bought it. You bought it 60 K. Oh my God. Mm. It's like 300 K now or whatever it's going to be. So yeah, but totally. that was my moment. That was my journey for sure. And what do you think, what, what aspects of your personality directly linked, you know, can, can you, kind of if you took yourself back to five six seven or eight years of age whatever it was that was inherently naturally in your 
kind yeah. of psyche that so most of us in, in bitcoin are high in so you know they talk about the big five personality traits uh it's a big jordan peterson thing too but um big five personality traits i i would say most of us in bitcoin are high in the trait disagreeable can you um, can you can you flesh that out a bit because we don't really know too much about that in the uk we, we is, yeah. is this the briggs myers thing or, or? no i think it's sort of related to that but there's um i can't list them all out off the top of my head for you but mm -hmm. there's there's this thing the big five personality traits and they're there are these components of, of, you know, that everyone has of whether I think openness is one of them, like openness to new ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but disagreeableness is one of them. And I, I'm going to say this wrong, but I think it really is like your willingness to, to challenge things, um, you know, as opposed to going along with the crowd and, and all that kind of stuff. I was really high in that from a young age where, you know, I, I was a pretty smart kid and I was, a, I was reading, big books at a young age and, and about all kinds of stuff. And uh, that can be, I guess we'll probably talk about schooling at some point, but that, that can become an issue when, when your teachers start talking about stuff and they don't know what you're talking about and you're, you know, you're six or seven years old and you don't know that you're not supposed to tell your teachers that they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so uh, that, that kind of came up once in a while. Um, so, I, you know, I think, um, as a Bitcoiner, it, that, that personality trait, it allows you to look at the system as a whole and see this thing that's very, very contrary to our old way of thinking and think, no, that, that could be right. Like, just because they've done this this way for this long, that, that can be right. Um, I think it's tempered a little bit with, um, you know, I, I have a, a strain of like Burkean conservatism, um, which that's, that's an English thing. Um, so, so Burke, you know, do you know the, um, you know the parable or the, the, the quote of Chesterton's fence? Do you know what that is? No. Um, so GK Chesterton was a, was a writer, uh, I believe he was English. Um, he wrote, uh, he's most famous now for like the father Brown mysteries. He was the writer of those stories. They made a TV show about that, but he was in the 1800s. He, he wrote about philosophy also, and he has this idea that if you, if you are, I think the story is set, you, you buy a farm um, and you buy a farm and you, you're wandering the farm and you come upon a fence. Um, and your first impulse is like, well, I don't like this here, I'm gonna tear it down. And he, he says, you know, before you tear down a fence, make sure you know why it was put there in the first place, because there may be a, a good reason for it. And Burkean conservatism is the same way. Uh, Burke was a member of parliament, but he, you know, his idea was that we have these social structures which evolved over millennia to be the way they are. There might be a good reason why things are the way they are. Just think of that before you start meddling with it. Um, so, and that doesn't mean don't do anything, don't, that you have to be set in stone. Burke was a, Burke supported the American Revolution, you know, and I'm sure that wasn't very popular for him to do as a member of parliament. Um, so he certainly wasn't don't do anything, but just, um, you know, don't embrace things just because they're new, like really think them through. And that, I mean, the Bitcoin community, everything is just war gamed out to the nth degree. You know, everything that we do in Bitcoin, it's like, well, let's look at this facet of it. Let's think about this aspect. You know, before you get a, a BIP go through, it's like, well, what if this, what if this, what if this? How will this interact technologically? How will this interact societally or, or culturally or in a social network? 
Um, that's the that's a big difference between Bitcoiners and shitcoiners, I think, too. Um, a lot of, of shitcoin people, it's just about the code and the technology. It's like, well, how will this interact technologically? Okay, do it. But they don't think about like, well, what happens economically? What happens to our miners? What happens, you know, what will incentivize people to do this instead of this? And Bitcoin, we never, ever, ever stop talking about that. You know, and we, we talk about threat models that are like the most ridiculously hypothetical things. And it seems ridiculous, but it's, you know, but by the time we get there, we're going to be ready. You know, um, we got, um, you know, Drew writing that series about center of hash and mining on Mars and all that. And it's like, well, we're so far from that being an issue, except one day we're not going to be so far from that being an issue. And by then we'll have thought about it, you know, and it's, it's really amazing that um, everybody thinks so, so deeply about this stuff. So anyway, we, we have, we have this, openness and this disagreeableness that I think is tempered by by that nature too and that I fit in well there you know and I I'm probably not a person who oh I'm not probably I'm a person who definitely has not always fit in you know when I was a kid um you know when when other kids were were reading Sports Illustrated I was reading National Geographic and, still, <laughs> and I got made fun of for that right um <laughs> So, yeah, it, it is weird sometimes when I really can look at things in life and go like, okay, this and this and this led me to, to Bitcoin, 100%. Um, and that's an amazing thing, you know. Um, I'd be interested Bitcoin, to know, I, I'd be interested to know what like the five, uh, what the, the three or four other traits I, I can tell are. you in a minute because um, I have a... I, I, I wonder if this is a map. Is this a, a hack map to like what 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 kind of personality trait of people do we need to go and help next you know because if if like the first couple of tranches have been those that disagree and um those that question authority then who's next right uh you know and and does it go down to like is the fifth person or the sixth person that person that just follows the crowd is the masses or is part of the laggards or whatever else maybe there's some kind of little roadmap well, here that we could apply well that's going to be interesting too with bitcoin with, with the follow the crowd that person who is currently your enemy is going to become your ally soon or when mm -hmm. when bitcoin hits that tipping point you know the follow right. the crowd person will just go along with it so here here's the big five though i'm just reading off the bookopedia mm -hmm. there's openness to experience conscientiousness mm -hmm extroversion, agreeableness. So I said disagreeableness, but that's, you know, two sides of the same coin and neuroticism. Neuroticism, I think, is one that we're pretty low in for the most part as Bitcoiners. Neuroticism. Right. Yeah. Okay. Do but, we, do we uh, have I, everything else covered, do you think? Yeah, I, I think as you dive into these, like they all break down in a different level. I'll tell you what. John Ballas is probably going to listen to this at some point. John, when you talk to Jordan Peterson, please go into this with him because I think the way this relates to Bitcoin is really important. And I think we all know that you're going to be interviewing Jordan Peterson at some point. So, uh, so remember that I'm saying this right now. Mark, mark, this, uh, mark this moment, John Ballas. Uh, ask Jordan Peterson about the big five traits and how they relate to Bitcoiners because he's going to explain it 80 billion times better than I am. So... And how does that, so the Myers-Briggs thing, is that something different? Does that just I, I, give yeah, you kind I, of a personality type? It's a different thing. Um, 
I don't, I guess you could probably argue that there's like a, there's a connection between them. It's a different test. Um, but there, one probably does relate to the other. I don't know my Myers-Briggs, uh, score or, or whatever my, you know, the one that's like, it's like INTJ and all that. Um, I took it, I think when I was in like middle school, um, but I don't remember what I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'm going to have to take it again and I, I can let people know what I am after that, but I don't remember what I was. So I mean, surely you'd be different just through by, you know, by virtue of like life experiences and lessons that you've learned and, yeah. and whatever else, like it, I, these, I these tests are, must be flawed. Yeah. I, I'm sure, I'm sure that there are things where you can evolve on. I think if they, you know, if they really are what they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be something like really innate to them. But I, I think if you're talking about a kid versus an adult, yeah, you've got a lot of life experience that can change your viewpoint on things with that for sure. Um, Maybe on a deep level like that, that'd be interesting to know, you know, if can people really change that strongly? Mm -hmm. That's something important to know, I think. All right, man, buckle up because in that last little diatribe that you were um, going into, you mentioned that at some stage, as a six, seven, or eight-year-old kid, I can't remember the exact age you said, mm. you were the one kid in the classroom challenging the teacher, calling out bullshit. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, education system. And I know you've got some some strong thoughts about this. And yeah. from <laughs> from personal experience, why don't you just share with the listeners you know, what happened with you when, when you were a kid? Uh, so, for me, um, I was a Montessori kid. Um, and... In my experience, I think Montessori school is great. Um, I, you know, I, I'd recommend anyone look this up on, on their own because I, I can talk about it a little, but it's going from, you know, memory from the 1980s. So, um, do, do you want to just like yeah, frame it up with uh, who Maria Montessori is and yeah. uh, like so her she, ethos? She was a uh, she's an Italian educator. Um, did a book report on her in like third grade. Um, so I'm trying to harken <laughs> back to that. Um, but she, she created this, this system of education for children that was based on the idea. I should preface this by saying, cause a lot of Bitcoiners are into Ayn Rand. This was a system that was very endorsed by Ayn Rand. She considered Maria Montessori the only person at her time anyway, who really understood how you should teach kids. Um, but the idea was that children are naturally curious and the idea and the point of the educator is to harness that curiosity and let children's own innate desire to learn sort of steer the process um, and to develop this love of learning that way. Um, you know, as opposed to in, in her time, you know, she was seeing um, the, the public school system in the United States that we have in, is really, a, that's an outgrowth of the Prussian um, so Northern German, before Germany was a United country, you get Prussia. And they were like the super stereotypical hard-ass Germans. Like the Prussians are the ones that like put on the uniform, march in line, you know, do everything by the book. Um, that's kind of their stereotype where I think the Southern Germans are a little more freewheeling, like to party and drink, that kind of thing. That's the, <laughs> those were the Oktoberfest Germans in, in Bavaria. The Prussians yes. in the North are the hard-ass, you know, go down the line. Um, they, during the industrial revolution, they formed this educational system that was geared towards making obedient factory workers. And our public school system now is that, that's what it came from. 
Um, you know, and it, it was it was about taking um, taking these rural kids and teaching them the skills they were going to need to know to run the machines in the factory. And you all get in line, and you all sit at a desk, and you all copy the notes on the board and all that. So, a little later on, Maria Montessori said, "That's you know, that's not good for kids. That's not how you should do it." Um, and uh, in my experience with that, really was like it was very. Um, a lot of hands-on learning. There was a lot of physical representations of ideas for the kids. So you'd have certain puzzles and games that would teach you concepts. Um, and I just remember as a kid, like really liking it and being interested in it um, and, you know, and, and learning so much. And I, I'm remembering right now um, something that was such a great thing that they taught, the idea of it that they taught kids. Um, one day the teacher said, we're going to write from one to a thousand. And when you're five years old or six years old, like, that's a, how am I going to write from one to a thousand? Like, that's impossible. And what, what we did was had graph paper and we made these long, long rolls of graph paper. Um, and every day we do like 50 numbers and you'd write your numbers in on the graph paper and you'd write, you know, say it's 50 numbers. And then you would staple to the end of the roll every day, your extra 50 numbers. And eventually after however many days that was, um, you had your thousand and you had this long, long, long roll and you could unroll and you could see what you had done and you could see this work that you've done. And, oh my God, I wrote to a thousand. I'm a little kid and a thousand like, oh, and it, it was such a good thing to teach you um, like what you could accomplish and how like, you know, every, you could take a little bite out of thing at a time and you can really move mountains that way. And all you had to have was a piece of graph paper and a pencil, you know? And I think we had, um, I think we had like can like tuna cans or something like that, and you kept the roll in the in the can. Um, and what an amazing tool that was to teach that idea to a kid um, in such a in such a simple way. Um, but then, uh, so I aged out of that, um, and I started going to public school in second grade. And because um, I, I don't know what Montessori goes up to now, if if they want to go longer, how long they can go. But um, but at, at that school, it was second grade. And it was, it was such a shock. Like the, the total cliche of kids and teachers not getting along and not liking each other, that was all new to me. Like I had never experienced that before. So all of a sudden I was thrown in this system where it was like that. And I, I just remember just feeling like, what is going on? Like, why is it like this? And like, um, you know, and like teachers assistants, like making you stand in lines and like everybody had to not make a peep before we could go out to, the playground and I was like why are we doing this like it just felt it was you know I, I had this sense of confusion of like what are we doing um in this adversarial relationship and I did not like it at all but if I didn't have that grounding in Montessori I think I would have been a horrible student and I was a pretty decent student for the most part um but that was because I um I had you know I had had this grain of the importance of, of self-education at that point where I, you know, I really feel like most of what I learned, I learned teaching myself and, and from my own passions and my own interests. So, um, you know, I, I look back that, at that now as like my feelings of like a lot of this is wasted time. Like, oh no, that was, it wasn't one of those things like, oh, when you get older, you'll understand. Like, no, when I get older, I want to go, what the fuck? Like, why did we do it that way? It was so bad. Like there was so much busy work and so many, yeah. you know, they give you handouts where it was like, you were reading an essay, you know, this is 10 miles long. And then you'd have a question, how many miles long was this? And all it was was just busy work to get you to go, you know, to mm -hmm. occupy your time. 
um, what a what a wasted amount of life that was, you know, um, especially for kids who are like really interested in things, who are interested in learning. Um, ironically, the kids who do best in school are probably the ones on who it's most wasted. So, or at least that system is. Not yeah, yeah, you know, the, think about the kids that get told off for looking out the window, right? Mm -hmm. They're the curious kids. Yeah. They're the ones that, you know, th there's something much bigger going on out here and I'm, I'm trapped in here. So something much bigger going on out there and I'm trapped in here. And, you know, it's just such a, it's such a defunct system. And I know you have now, uh, you know, you're, you're building a family, you have your young son. I would love to know, how are you thinking about uh, the future of, of, of education? Now you, 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 you're, you're fully self-sovereign, right? You're, 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 you're a Bitcoiner. You understand that that's exactly what you want. It's very hard to go back to a centralized, any centralized system. Once you've challenged the biggie, right? I mean, top of the pyramid is challenging the financial centralized system. If yeah. you challenge that, you're going to challenge every other single one. So how are you thinking about uh, the future and, and, and bringing up your family? And um, I will, I think let's, yeah, we're, we're assuming we've mooned and all that and, and money's no object and all that. Um, in the short term, something that I, I've mentioned to you, something that really interests me is acting academies. Um, I was not aware of them until very recently. Um, but I watched the founder give a TED talk and he told this story about why he founded the schools. And I felt like he was talking about me. Um, his children were in Montessori school and he, he went and talked to the principal of the local elementary school because his kids were getting ready to age out. And um, you should watch this TED talk. If you, if you just Google, you know, TED talk, Acton Academy or something, it'll come up. Um, but uh but he said, he, he said to the principal, how, how soon do you think I should take them out of Montessori? And he said, immediately. And he said, why? And he said, because once those kids get used to not being in a system where they're sitting at a desk, watching the blackboard, listening to an instructor, you know, repeat the rote notes, it's really hard to get them into that. And he said to the principal, well, why should they be into that? You know, and he's the way he describes it. So the guy kind of hung his head and he said, they really shouldn't. Um, <laughs> this is the guy who that's his system that he represents, you know. Um, so so this founder wanted to um, wanted to build. They actually wrote a book. I have it back here about founding the schools. But um, but he wanted a system that was that that leveraged that idea of kids innate desire to learn and being much more free form. Um, and so he founded these schools. I believe their headquarters is in Austin, Texas. Um, they have schools all over the world now um, in not all states in the U.S., but a lot of states, but in various countries as well. Um, I think it's very parent involved, but it's also the thing that's really interesting to me about it is um, because it, you know, it, it very much uses online learning as well as in-person group learning. It's geared where you can kind of drop in and out of it um, because you know, if I'm, if I'm some post moon Bitcoiner where, you know, where money is not really an object for things, I would love to take my son around the world, you know, and, and mm -hmm. be showing him things all the time. And I don't want it to be like, oh, well, we can't because school is doing this unit that week and you can't miss it. And it's like, 
no, you can now. We, we, live, in, we live in the future, you know? Um, and I know online learning hasn't gone well for a lot of kids during COVID, but I, I really think a lot of that too is like they're getting out what their parents are putting into it, which is nothing. Um, you know, their, their parents, and I don't want to be too critical of the parents because a lot of them are like, well, we have to go to work and we used to bring our kids to school and now we have to leave them in front of the computer. Um, you know, they don't have a plan B. And if you can't afford that, you know, if you can't afford a tutor or a babysitter all day, that's a problem. So, uh, but anyway, you, you know, you can have that flexibility now and why not? And if you're really well off, why not have a tutor in a topic, like a really good teacher, you know, for, for your child? Um, you know, other people have talked about this idea that you can have, maybe somebody's a really, really good teacher in a topic and they can get paid like a rock star. You know, it's like parents all over the world clamor to be in this guy's online class. Um, and they can learn about this, this topic and this topic only for six weeks. And then they learn about something else. It doesn't have to be every 45 minutes, the bell rings and you go march to that because that's the way we do it. Cause that's the way we do it. You know, it doesn't, you know, life doesn't work that way. And a lot of it is justified by, well, when you get to the real world, like well, the real world doesn't really work that way either, you know? <laughs> so what are we really preparing for? Um, but I, I would love to, you know, to travel the world with my son and, uh, and, you know, let him observe other, other cultures and other, other languages, but understand other systems and why things work the way in this country and not in that country. Cause that's, you know, it's a topic we don't talk about enough. I don't think, um, we just kind of take a lot of things as a given that, well, that's how it is here. And that's what it's like there, but there's a reason for that. Um, and, but to really experience that firsthand. So, um, you know, I did a very small amount of traveling as a kid, really limited, but it was much more on, you know, it was on vacations. It wasn't on, uh, really, really learning. Uh, I should, when I say very small amount, I mean, outside of the United States, I did a very small amount, but that was much more kind of resort travel. Um, you know, um, but I did, I'll tell you when I was a kid, I, I went to a few times to the Caribbean and, um, that was a major wake up call because you could see outside the resorts, um, you know, people having these little tar paper shacks. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I had never seen anything like that. Um, and this idea that, you know, oh yeah, this is what's normal in a lot of the world, you know? Um, so just that little, little bit of exposure, um, I think was a big experience for me. And I can imagine if you're really, really traveling, like long-term and like deep travel, like where you're not just, you know, you see a couple things out the window of the car in between the resort and the beach or whatever yeah. it is, you know? Um, and you're, you're living some of that now. Um, you know, obviously you're in a first world country right now, but, um, but, you know, I never, I've never been to Europe even to this day. And it's something that I really regret. And I, you know, once things open up again, I hope it's one of the first things that I do. So. Yeah. What I mean, we call it world schooling and it's just such a, an amazing thing to do with your kids. We did it when our kids were eight, six and the twins at that stage were three. And we, we went for two and a half years and I, what you're talking about, I remember having the same exact uh, realization when I was 21 and I'd been shipped out to Singapore and, I'd been shipped out to Singapore for 10 weeks in Tokyo for two weeks by the company I was working for in London. And I got out there into Singapore. I'm like, the hell is 
this place this is like you know yeah i i, I didn't even know where it was on a map until that point when i was told right this is where you're going it's a 13 or 14 hour flight and you get there and you sit down at the desk with the other you know you're in a team of guys we were on a foreign exchange brokerage desk and they're saying hey princey we're going off to uh to bali this weekend do you want to come i'm like I, guys i just landed yeah yeah don't worry we get the Friday night flight out, we get the Sunday afternoon flight back, and it's just brilliant. And off we went into Indonesia, and the same exact thing. It's like, oh, my God. We're going from this amazing international airport, uh, Changi Airport in Singapore. We landed at a wooden shack of an airport. And uh, good night, mate. And uh, my son's just saying good night. Uh, and then we jumped in a, um, in a minivan, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, I'd come yeah. from the southeast of the UK and the, the worst I'd seen was, you know, like uh, some some tiny flat, high-rise flats that you you see as you, you as you pull into London and you just think to yourself, oh man, you know, I wouldn't want to be living in one of those because I've got the, the nicer house out in the suburbs sort of thing. Yeah. But then when you see people living under corrugated iron, you're like, wow, what a wake-up call. And we spent yeah. 15 years out there uh, in Singapore and touring all these different places and falling in love with all of them just because of the, the different spirit of people and the different outlook of life. And then when we traveled with the kids, uh, you know, our, our faith in humanity was completely restored because we were doing it via the, the, the circular economy and, and home swapping and meeting people that we were uh, swapping homes with. And it was just, yeah, it was, it, it's an amazing, it's an amazing way to, to help educate your kids and, you know, kickstart this conversation and it's everything, right. It's an attack on every sense. Yeah. I, it, I made that same trip. I, uh, I went to Bali. So I'm, I'm really fascinated by Singapore. I spent two days there. Um, because uh, it was the stopover on the way to Bali. My, my options, I'm a little mixed now because one, one of my options for us to stop over was Hong Kong. And now I kind of wish I'd done that because that was the chance, you know. Um, that was, uh, you know, 2016. Uh, no, it was 20, early 2017. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, the I think maybe the door is closed on that for for a long time, but um, stopped in Singapore, fascinating place. Um, I have, I have tried to learn more and more and more about it. I have uh, Lee Kuan Yew's book, uh, Third World the First, uh, mm -hmm. over my shoulder here. As someone who is libertarian leaning, I have really mixed feelings about how, you know, how they got to where they are. Um, it, it raises a lot of very uncomfortable questions for libertarians that yep. should be discussed. Um, but mm -hmm. to, well, I'll get back to that in a minute, but the, um, so I was in Singapore for a couple of days and then went to Bali, but that is talk about culture shock because if you're from the United States and I would assume the UK also going to Singapore is like stepping into the future. I mean, mm -hmm. it feels like the Jetsons. Um, for those of you who haven't been, it is sparkling clean. It's super advanced. Everything in the country is this one city. Um, and it's just, you know, everything feels new and just works right. And everything is orderly and all that. Um, and then you step into Bali and, you know, Indonesia is a developing country for sure. Um, Bali, you get on the roads in Bali and it's like, you're taking your life in your hands. 
Um, you have these scooters that are just weaving in and out of your, of your vans. Hire a local driver if you ever go to Bali, by the way. You get a, uh, this is for the audience who's not been there. You, get, you can hire a tour guide who basically is your translator and driver for the whole day for like 20 bucks. Do that. Don't drive on Bali's roads. It's crazy. Um, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it is a third world area for sure. Um, and the, the people there I found were, were great. Um, you know, um, I, I largely was either in, uh, in the hotel where we stayed or in that, you know, in that resort area or, uh, or in touristy areas, but it seems like Bali is a pretty safe place. Um, culturally, it's really fascinating because it's that one little Hindu remnant of Indonesia. Um, you know, used to be entirely a Hindu country. And then in medieval times, it sort of made its way into being an Islamic country. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it is a different thing. People take out their trash to the curb and burn it on the street. You know, that's how they deal with their trash. And it's, it's heartbreaking. I went snorkeling um, off the East coast of Bali and the reef is just, it's just plastic trash floating in front of you everywhere. I mean, it's imagine being in like a blizzard of plastic trash and that's what the reef was like because people burn their trash in the curb and it all washes into the gutter and ends up on the reef. And it, it is, it's tragic. Um, and it should be an easy problem to solve. I hope people in the tourist industry really start working on that. But, um, but Singapore, you know, it's the other way around. We landed, it was the middle of the night, local time. We had, we had flown from San Francisco, which I think at the time was the second longest flight in the world, uh, had been on this plane for 17 hours. Um, and, uh, it was right before Chinese new year. So there was a lot of celebrations going on. Um, there's this Chinese night market and we're walking around at two in the morning on the other side of the world and didn't worry the slightest bit. I mean, it's the safest place and all that, but there is a dark side to how, to how they got there. And there is a debate to be had, um, you know, it was that the only way they could get there at the time. I don't know. Um, was it worth it? Um, well, it depends if their alternative was to have been taken over, made into like a communist dictatorship, because there was there was threat of that, I think, at some point. Um, but the rules under which they lived at the time, and there's there's remnants of it now, are not something I would want for my own country. But at the same time, they're really, really prosperous and healthy and well off and have this beautiful developed country in an area where that's not always the case. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's there are some dark sides. We, we, we can talk offline about that. Uh, if yeah. you want, I'm happy to, you know, fill you in. Yeah, you don't want to get banned from re-entry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, you know, I don't want to go down like a, a random um, yeah, topic yeah. that, that listeners might be thinking like, what the hell are these guys? This is supposed to be a Bitcoin yeah. podcast. I, I, I uh, tend to go that way. I, I tend to go off <laughs> tangents. But uh, I want to talk to you about your own podcast. And I brought this yes. up on the Toxic Happy Hour, which we ended up on together. And a big shout out to, uh, to Guy and Anders for, for hosting the Toxic Happy Hour. Yeah, um, I think you released two or three episodes. You, you yeah, were going to go for it, was, it? I think it was two, yeah. Two. Uh, two, two and a trailer, I'll put it that way, two and a half. That's right, okay. I love them both, and I uh, appreciate. I that. told you that on the, uh, the 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 toxic happy hour, and I want yeah. to make sure for anybody that's listening, go find it. It's uh, Al's Lax, L Al's L A X, right? A L S L A X. Yeah, L A X is a abbreviation for lacrosse. It's what lacrosse players 
refer to lacrosse sometimes lax so i just thought that would keep it short right you did uh an essay about if this was just as the the blm movement was kicking off right the the yeah. black lives matter and uh that was so amazingly informative to someone like myself that has an interest in unpicking a narrative but doesn't really have any real clue as to the historical nature of the narrative that you know like th this one in particular that, that you were trying to address and you know, the, the, the pictures that were being beamed into us across the pond of what was going in, on in the US was like shocking. Like, How can this be happening? Obviously, we were being cherry-picked TV pictures and whatever else and uh, being coerced into believing the whole freaking country was on fire. But I found your piece, your, your, your essay, which you read on your first episode and then addressed your... Your, your thoughts at the same time to be very, very informative and something I think a lot of us should, should go and listen to. So I'd just like to, you know, delve into your mind now, you know, because here we are about a year after that, what was going on back then when you were addressing this issue and how has it transpired uh, yeah. since? Yeah. So I, um, First of all, I, I have to tell you, when you brought that up on Toxic Happy Hour, you were remembering things that I wrote more clearly than I remembered them. Um, <laughs> I, it was very, I was really touched. I honestly was that, that you that you remembered this stuff and that it made this impact on you um, because I did stop doing it, um, you know, and I, I don't know, it was a combination of, um, you know, imposter syndrome is a thing. Um, mm -hmm. There's this idea of like, why there's so much content, why am I doing this? Um, I think part of it also, and this ties more directly into your question was I, a lot of, I was, I was doing it out of extreme frustration. Um, we were in an era. So at the time I lived pretty close to, or relatively close to Portland, Oregon. And that was one of the worst places I would say ideologically for this whole thing. Um, I don't know that it experienced the worst violence. There was a lot of it, but I don't know that it was, I mean, there may have been cities where it was worse, but, um, you know, ideologically, Portland is just all in on the worst aspects of this. And I should mention, because people don't know this, it hasn't been, they don't run this on CNN. A lot of this stuff is still going on there. They had, uh, I want to say two weeks ago, the federal courthouse in Portland was attacked again. Um, and, you know, they tried to burn it again. You didn't see that on the major media here because that's not the story they want to tell. Um, and stuff like that, that hypocrisy is infuriating to me. But, um, but at the time there was, so there was the, the violence that was kicked off by, um, by the George Floyd uh, murder, which, um, you know, that trial's going on. I don't know if you know this in Europe, the, the, the officers on trial right now, um, that's going on right now. I would assume it's going to be over pretty quickly, but um, so, uh, you know, he was he was fired from the police force and charged with, I want to say murder, but it may be more technical than that, like what degree and all that. So I don't want to say, but, um, you know, um, that kicked it off. But I, I do think a lot of this has to do with COVID. I think if we hadn't been in lockdown, 
things wouldn't have proceeded exactly that way. But, um, but Portland, there had been that kind of thing had been going on there for a long time. Um, it, it's really probably if there's anywhere that's like the capital lens, if uh, it's probably Portland. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a city that I love to go to. And it, it had, you know, even before all this, it had a lot of problems. Um, the homeless problem on West Coast cities in the United States is something that has to be seen to be believed. When you, when you tell people how bad it is, and, and people who live there will tell you, you know, whether it's Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, um, it, it sounds like you're making it up when you tell people who have not been there. Um, you know, and I'm someone who, I grew up right near New York City, so it's not like I like never saw the big city before, right? Like this, this wasn't new to me. You know, I, I grew up next to a city that's a hell of a lot bigger than Portland. Um, the, the homeless issue in those cities is unbelievably out of control. And what that really is, I think what we don't talk about enough is homeless issue really means mental health and drug addiction issue. You know, almost everybody, you know, very, very few people as a percentage living on the street are there just, you know, because they just don't have the money or whatever, because there are resources for, for those people. It, you know, it doesn't really get talked about. Um, it's people who are addicted to meth or, you know, have schizophrenia or whatever. And um, a lot of the drug stuff, there's economic issues with that too. You know, you can talk about how the working class has really been, been harmed by a lot of things, but not to get down that rabbit hole right now, but, um, but it, it's, it's got that problem. And then, you know, they were rioting um, the, the night that Trump was elected in 2016, they, the Antifa started this. Um, and, and didn't stop. Like it, it kept on going every few weeks. There was another thing. And there were incidents where they were pulling innocent people out of their cars. There was one, it was like an old man on his way to work. And Antifa just decided they were taking over the street that day, you know? And, um, and the government there, the city council there is so hard left. And they're like all like super radical. They weren't doing anything about this. They're pretending it wasn't happening. Um, and it really frustrated me. And, I, um, and then when things really got bad, you know, that was upsetting. I couldn't go there anymore because, you know, I had a baby and, you know, I, uh, you know, I, uh, if I was in a situation where somebody was surrounding my car and trying to smash my windows, I'm not going to sit there and let it happen to me. I'm going to drive. And that means I'm going to be on the news because, you know, I ran someone over that, um, in the way that the media would portray it would be that, you know, um, and I have a shaved head, so I'm a Nazi, right? So that's, that's <laughs> how it would go. You know, you know, it would go that way. So, um, but, uh, you know, I, I was very frustrated by that, by the tearing down of statues, I thought was, there was so much, um, you know, you see, especially in these communist movements, this idea of the year zero. It's like, we're gonna just throw out all of civilization now. This is, this is civilization now. We can, you know, all the lessons of history aren't learned. It's just what we say now. And these things literally, I'm in mean, Cambodia, I had that where it was just like, we're tearing down all of our history and it's year zero now. And that doesn't go anywhere good. And, you know, the idea that I'm so wise that I can throw out all of this history and I, I am morally spirited, all of these people, all of them have committed a sin, but, but I'm so perfect that in the future, no one will ever think anything that I thought was wrong. Um, and there's nothing for me to learn from any of this stuff. That's, that's folly. You know, that's really folly. There's, you know, there's so much, um, so much history behind all this. I mean, they were tearing down statues of Abraham Lincoln, like the president who fought a war to end slavery. And, 
you know, and yeah, he, he, I'm sure thought things that by the standards of 2021, were not, you know, we're not with the full, you know, what do you think Martin Luther King thought of gay marriage in the 1960s? You know, I bet he wasn't in favor of it. So let's just throw out Martin Luther King, right? You know, what do you think Gandhi thought of, of gay marriage? Like, you know, um, so if we're going to make that the standard that like, these are our, you know, our new, uh, these are the new roles or these are the new things we support and anyone who doesn't live up to that, like, well, then you're going to be on that train too, because the rules keep changing, you know, um, but I was so frustrated by that. And I wanted to, I think it became my, my outlet to vent about it a little bit. And I, but I wanted to make sure I did so in a way that had a point rather than just me <laughs> pounding the table and saying, screw these people. Um, you know, and, uh, and places that I used to go to there in Portland were hurt. Like they're, you know, I, I really love restaurants and I, I used to be in that business and, um, you know, and restaurants that I love there are gone forever now, largely because of this kind of thing. COVID didn't help either, obviously that, um, but it just became not tenable to have a business there anymore. Um, because you had lockdown and then on top of that, people are burning down your building, you know? Um, so I, I wanted to talk about the importance of civilization and, and the lessons of history and all that. And the thing that I, I kind of really wanted to hammer home at the time was that, that racial angle that this is, uh, that this is, this doesn't belong to, to anyone just because of the tone of their skin. Like ideas belong to whoever wants to share those ideas. Um, and it is, it is sick that we're moving away from that right now or that they're, you know, I, I would like to say that there are activists moving away, but they've got the ear of people in government too. Like very powerful people in government are really going along with this stuff. And we were told a few years ago, just, oh, that's just this thing on college campuses. Don't worry about it. No, it's not. Um, you've got some very high level people who are at least pretending that they agree with this stuff. And you've got corporations that are, they're, they're going along with it, you know, and woe to those who, who don't pay lip service to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this, these ideas of freedom and liberty, and they're not a white idea or an Asian idea or a black idea. Like these things are, they're for everyone. Um, you know, and I, I look at like somebody like Frederick Douglass, how inspiring he was. I, I don't know how much you guys learn about him over there, but Frederick Douglass was a, a you know, he was born a slave and, um, you know, obviously treated terribly. And he, he was... So you don't talk about trait disagreeableness and what makes people who they are. He was particularly headstrong and he was sent to, there was this guy whose uh, specialty was basically breaking difficult slaves, you know, breaking them of their will. And the guy used to beat the crap out of them every day um, and try to get them to, you know, fall in line and all that. And I mean, God, I wish this guy was alive. I wish Douglas was alive so we could talk to him more about this, but um, he, uh, he one day wouldn't take it anymore. And he went after the guy and he beat the guy up, the slave master. And they somehow came to like this uh, grudging respect. I think they kind of came to an agreement, um, like a little bit of a, a detente. And then later on, Douglas ended up escaping, taught himself how to read, um, became, you know, an abolitionist activist in, in the North. And I mean, you know, we all, we all talk about the things in our past that keep us from being who, who we might want to be. And I'm no exception to that by far. Um, you know, this guy was literally born a slave and he somehow became so, whether it's self-actualized or whatever term you want to use on it, um, 
that he broke free of that. And it's like, if you could bottle up a drop of that and give it to everybody, like, God, that would be incredible. You know, I wish that I had, you know, an ounce of what, of what that guy had. Um, and he was black, right? Like, I don't look at that and go, well, that doesn't, I, I don't care about that. He's not my color. You know, that doesn't apply to me. And the idea that we would do that with, whether it was the ancient Greeks or, you know, the founding fathers or whatever that, that had so much we could learn from uh, just because, you know, it's not your race or they had thoughts that were, you know, not things we would agree with now. So you have to just totally tear that out of the world. That's insane. It's not intelligent. It's, there's no wisdom to it. It's incredibly narcissistic because by you're saying, I, I am above all of them. You know, it's like, no, you're not like you're, you're not above George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and, and Aristotle. And come on, like, who do you, you know, or, or Frederick Douglass, you know, you're, you're not above those people. Um, so I, I wanted to really kind of touch on those ideas. I thought those were really important because I think that's the way forward. The way, you know, it's not going to be cutting our, ourselves up into the tiniest possible slices. And, well, I am this color and this sexual orientation and this gender and I like this and that and that and that and nobody who's not that can teach me anything or tell me anything and I have my own little school I have my own neighborhood or my own set of laws and nobody like that's not the way forward you know it's it's a um you know people kind of laugh at that American uh idea of a melting pot now but that's the way forward it's like we all have our distinctiveness but in we we figure out some form of unity under which to live together. And we add our distinctiveness to the, to the entirety. So, yeah, it's, um, it was, it was a great piece. And the, the way you went about writing it was uh, analogizing it to, to Hamilton. Um, yeah. If I remember rightly. Yeah. And, and it, I don't know what triggered you to do that, but at the same kind of time, there was like the, the thing coming out from the Simpsons saying, that uh, they were not going to use because uh, they had a, you know, you know Dan Castellana. Uh, I can't say his name. Cast- he, he does yeah, a, a bunch of names, right? He does Homer and this and that, and they, and maybe he he was the guy doing Apu as well. And there was yeah. this whole apology from I, the Simpsons yeah, um, saying, you know, we, we would we would never do this again, and um, it. And, and reading your piece and listening to you talk through your thoughts on that podcast was truly helpful in, in helping me understand, uh, you know, the, the, the nonsense side of the narrative and what that narrative was trying to drive. It was trying to drive division. It truly was. And this is what all of our narratives are. If I look back over the last four years, everything's about division, especially here in Europe, Brexit was about division and that was in the newspapers and the uh new the, the telecasts every single day you know like the uk was split 50 50 what an absolute golden goose egg that was for them so when you started talking about this and and using the hamilton analogy i don't know if you, actually maybe you want to rip on that a little bit um, oh just i well yeah i mean to to talk about there's this whole trend of, um, you know, it, it got to where, so there's this idea of blackface, right? And the, the original blackface was, um, I guess, late, late 1800s, early 1900s, where white performers were putting on this makeup um, and they were usually musicians. And it was kind of a combination of 
these black jazz musicians were not welcome to play, or if it was even jazz back then, but were not welcome to play in these white venues. So these guys would sort of like do a fake pretending to be black. And there was sort of a mocking element to it, like a derision. And that's the black face that, that we know and, and sort of don't like. And it somehow has morphed into if, if someone even does a cartoon character that isn't the actual color that they are, that that's some form of racism, um, you know, it just got ridiculous. And the one, you know, I'll tell you the one that really bothers me on it is Harry Shearer, because um, he does a lot of voices on The Simpsons. Harry Shearer was Derek Smalls in Spinal Tap, the bass player. Um, <laughs> like, you know, a guy who was in Spinal Tap is, is going to be like, oh, I can't, I can't do anything that's offending people. Like, come on, you were in Spinal Tap. Like, seriously? Um, but but Harry Shearer has become an old man who is afraid of stepping on anyone's toes, and he he has announced that he won't do. You know, I, I think the doctor on The Simpsons. Um, he's he's announced he's not doing that voice anymore because the doctor's black and whatever. He does like a dozen voices on The Simpsons, but um, but at the same time, I was seeing you know Hamilton gets uh, was just sort of universally lauded by critics, um, and it, you know, and for those who don't know. Um, Hamilton is everyone in the cast is I think either black or Hispanic or maybe there's some Asians too, um, except for the guy who plays King George. So George the Third is is a white actor, but everybody else is not. Um, the star Lin Manuel Miranda, who who wrote it, is the, he plays Hamilton. He's I think Puerto Rican, um, but uh, you know there there's an aspect of that really irked me that it's like well how can at the same time that we're we're sort of throwing rocks at this idea. We're handing out awards to this. And that bothered me, but there was another, and I think that's sort of the cranky old man take on it for sure. Um, but, uh, but there was another level on which I really, I really liked it um, because when I, when I watched it, I, I had this idea that part of the message that was being sent is they were, he was doing this, Miranda, um, I think was doing this to send the message that this is all of our history, you know, and, and I'm going to hammer this home by casting it with, you know, all these people who are not the, you know, the white founding fathers race to, to hammer on the message that this belongs to all of us. And he really, the very end of it, when they talk about um, Hamilton's wife, and how you know she kind of went on and spread his story and all that. And there's a song about telling your story. Um, it, I think it really that sort of underscored that idea to me. But I, I thought, like, why? How is this thing so popular? And they're totally missing. Like everybody else is totally missing the message on that. Like people who who love watching Hamilton don't get that out of it. And I, I'll call him out a little bit. I think Miranda should have been more vocal about that. You know, I think he he got into some of the woke stuff a little bit too. When he could have been the voice of all people, I think in that moment he could have been the voice to say it's not about it's not about the color, it's about the character, it's about the idea. You know, you know he was the guy who could have said that, and he didn't. And I, I get that he's probably in an industry where it would have made him unpopular. But you know, sometimes there is a guy who can be the one to be unpopular and who can stand against that. And I think he was that guy. Uh, and I'm a little disappointed. And I, I think he's, I think he's brilliant. You know, he wrote, um, he wrote the music to Moana, which plays in my house probably once a day, um, <laughs> if not more than once a day. My, my son loves it. I, I, it's a great movie, and the songs are awesome, and it's so good. Um, the guy's brilliant. He really is, and he deserves, he deserves the 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 um, the laurels that he's gotten. 
but I, I wish he had stood up for that a little bit more for sure. Yeah. Well, and again, thank you for, for doing that. And I hope that you, you consider at least um, doing, doing an, another podcast because the, there's your second episode, you had the guy on from the reading club. I'm sorry. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, uh, Scott Hambrick from online great books. Again, so interesting. You guys talking about some very, very deep topics and you're surrounded by books. You're, you're clearly a heavy reader. How did he help you? Yeah. How did he help you learn how to read, right? It's like, um, yeah. that's a rabbit hole. I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't want to go down there because yeah. that seems it, like a hell a of a lot of work. I've, I've fallen pretty far behind on it. I, I actually am going to back up, I think, on it a little. Um, but so I... I knew of him through there's a podcast called the art of manliness and it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek title but really good podcast um not just for men but i think it is geared towards towards men and things like just different things you might want to learn about and know about um and that guy um knew him from uh he he worked for um a gym it's a chain of gyms called starting strength and i i actually belong to one now but um but it's a barbell gym and um and Scott kind of as a hobby, I think, was a, was a trainer with that. He, he, had a, he had a different business, which he sold last year. But um, he had started with these, with these uh, instructors, these, these barbell instructors. These guys are weightlifters, right? Um, he had started a club with them to read through the classics. And they would meet, I think, at his house every month. And they'd discuss the classics. And he has this really this idea of like, we, we let this stuff kind of be pushed away into a little box, like that it's just for specialists, but it's not. Um, and you know, the idea of online great books is you sign up and it takes you through from the beginning, you know, from the ancient Greeks, you start, I think with the, the Iliad, um, you know, and you work your way through, um, through that, through um, work, other works of Homer, through Socrates, through Plato, um, Aristotle, um, into uh you know the romans plutarch's in there and i, I think you get into the medieval scholars I, i'm not up that far yet but and then you meet on zoom once a month and, and discuss these things um and i you know as you read it it really does hit you it takes a little bit of adjusting get getting used to the way things are written in translation and all that but um when people are talking about life and and all that it's it resonates. You're like, oh my God, like you think of all this stuff is so stilted because it's thousands of years ago. And like, you see it in the movie and everyone's very speaking like they're in a play and it's, they're a very serious tone, but these guys start talking about life and you're like, oh, this is the same thing we're dealing with now. You know, it's the same stuff. Um, the way people behave is so relatable and they, they talk about their problems in life and it's the same kind of thing. Um, oh God, there was one, I forget who it was, was talking about like, it was basically like a kids these days kind of thing. And it's exactly what you would hear now. And this is like 2,500 years ago. And it's like, you know, they don't respect hard work and da, 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 da. And it's, it's something your grandpa would say, you know, but there, there really is, there are wisdom and there's life lessons in that. Um, so Scott has a, has that program and I, I'd recommend anyone to check it out. It's online, great books. Um, but he's got, he's got a podcast, the online great books podcast. Um, and they talk about these ideas. They talk about, they talk about those books, but they also talk about newer stuff. Um, you know, much more recent writings, what you think of that. 
Um, I read uh, they did the Jeeves series one time, the the Butler Jeeves, the PG Woodhouse Jeeves, which I, as an American, I only knew that, like Jeeves was just a reference people made to Butler's. I didn't know that's what it was actually from. Written about a hundred years ago, it's still really funny. It's it's really really funny when you read it. Um, but uh, anyway, so he he has you know slightly different take. He's maybe a little bit more paleo than I am um, <laughs> and curmudgeonly. Uh, but he, it turns out he's owned Bitcoin for a lot longer than I have. And he's not really like super into Bitcoin, but he's just had some of it, who knows how much, for, for quite a while. And I, I get the feeling it's probably quite a bit, given when he started. Um, but uh, yeah, he, you know, he's kind of, his program sort of carries the torch of, of spreading these ideas. Um, and I, uh, I think it's really valuable for, for anybody. It, it's, a, it's a commitment. But I, I love the fact that these guys come from a strong mind, strong body background. Um, they have a graphic that's a it's a brain doing bench pressing. Um, <laughs> you know, it's the idea is this isn't just for like, you know, academics in an ivory tower. Like this is this stuff is for everybody, and, and I love that. So let's go down the rabbit hole of working out and mm-hmm. uh, diet regime. Uh, you you <laughs> said right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, that there was there was a no alcohol kick thing going on right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how how does this all tie in? What what what's going on at the moment? Well, I think um, you know I, I think Bitcoin in general is something that you know makes people excited about the future. Um, for me, for sure. So I, I am I'm probably a little bit older than most of the bit. Uh, uh, more or less, a little bit older than most of the Bitcoiners that I interact with. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, <laughs> we'll, we'll say we're, we're, in, we're in like a, maybe not a whole generation, but we're like half a generation above a lot of the people that we, we interact with Bitcoin. Do you think um, the millennials are still even listening at this point? Or have they just tuned yeah. out? Like these old guys, like what do no, I, Well, no, it's the Zoomers now that you got you to gotta worry about. The Zoomers <laughs> are up and coming. I, um, I wasn't, I don't think I was even aware of the term Zoomers until I got into Bitcoin, but um but uh, yeah, we're in this weird generation where we're, we're too young for Gen X and we're too old for millennial. And there's not really a name for that. Like when, when I was a kid, what Gen X was, was like guys who were, you know, 15, 20 years older than me. So um, anyway, the uh, yeah, so Bitcoin really gives people hope. And I haven't gone through the the 08 crisis and seeing how that affected people i lived in an area at the time that was really really hard hit by the crash in real estate prices um and my industry was really hard hit and my income just got crushed and like i just like all of my dreams were just sort of evaporating you know and it just it was this never-ending just fight to keep going and just just pay the bills you know um, and I, I eventually lost my job as a consequence of that. Um, the place that I worked was, uh, you know, over the course of a year, we laid off a lot of the hourly employees. And then, uh, you know, eventually they laid off most of the management and I was part of that. Um, and, uh, you know, it sucked. It was, it was really bad. And I, I experienced that. Life. What sector was that before you? So I was in, I was in restaurants for years, okay. um, both in regular restaurants, in resort type management. Um, that was actually country club at the time, which functioned pretty similar to where resort, but, um, you know, it, uh, 
a lot of the membership there were real estate millionaires and then they weren't all of a sudden, you know, very fast they weren't. Um, so the, uh, the cutbacks were, you know, swift and brutal. Um, and, you know, I understand why that happened, but they, they just couldn't afford to pay us, pay staff anymore. Um, but I, I really do sympathize with people who are going through that kind of stuff now. Um, because, because I lived that life for a long time, but I, uh, but I, you know, I experienced that and I really, I, that was before Bitcoin even existed or right. I mean, it would have been right around the time that Bitcoin was invented, but I didn't know about it, of course. And, and we didn't know that it was going to be a thing or anything like that. Um, and I, uh, for a long time, I think I just looked at the world as like, it's just this rat race and then you die. You know, I, I lost a lot of hope in that. And, you know, I talked about, I, I was into the idea of being a gold bug. I didn't own a bunch of bars of gold or anything. Um, but I, I kind of hit this thing of like, well, this is just never going to happen. Like th this would be the way to go, but it's never going to happen. So I, uh, you know, when I, when I came to Bitcoin years later, it really was such a renewal, um, for, for hope for the world. Because at, at that point, I think I looked at it as like, well, I can maybe have a good life and do some things I want to do, but I think everybody else is screwed or, or the world as a whole is, is going to go down the tubes. And I just hope that I can be insulated enough from it. And then when I started to understand the bigger implications of Bitcoin, it was like, there's going to be a rough ride, but we can build a better future. And it really gave me hope. And I, I think you see that reflected in the way people take care of themselves more. Um, you know, I, uh, I had about 10 years ago or so, I, you know, I, I gained some weight and I, I went up a small flight of stairs and I, all of a sudden I felt that I was like actually breathing a little bit heavier. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just went up like eight stairs and I'm breathing hard. That's not acceptable. Uh, we're not breathing hard, but like, I could feel I had like an elevated heart rate going up eight stairs. I'm like that's bullshit. I'm not doing, we're not going down that road. So, you know, I, uh, that's, I went on, paleo at that point and i lost some weight got in shape and then fast forward to uh bitblock boom last year a bunch of us agreed to go carnivore the next week so i did that and i've mostly stuck with that ever since um you know and just you know and then i also started lifting heavy a few months ago i, I go to a good barbell gym that has great instruction i've got all these old injuries from a car accident i had years ago that were really screwing me up it's helping fix a lot of that, putting my body back together the way it should be. And I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life. Like I, I lost, before I started lifting, I lost weight until I was, I weighed about as much as I did when I was like 16. Um, and then I, I started to go slowly up again as I've added muscle, but um, I'm in better shape than I've ever been in my life. And, you know, and I, I this is in a time where a lot of people just embrace, well, it's COVID, so let's just drink our faces off and, and all that. Um, the alcohol thing was part of that. I, I used to be in that business. I was a sommelier, actually. I love wine. Um, I also have a vicious allergy to wine that really messes me up. Um, so that's taken a lot of the fun out of that passion. Um, <laughs> I was luckily, say. Uh, luckily, Bitcoin has sort of replaced that a little bit in my mind of like things that I can become obsessed with. Because there's so much, there, I mean, wine's an incredible rabbit hole. You live in France, I'm sure you've experienced some of that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not good for me. And I hit a point where 
you know, I could control the worst symptoms of it with, with antihistamines, but I, you know, I just didn't feel good. And it was like, okay, I know what this is doing on a macro level that I can witness in my body. I wonder what it's really doing on a, like a micro level. I, you know, I don't, you know, I have stuff I want to be around for, like, you know, I, I don't want to die young, you know? Um, and I, I really feel great now. I, uh, you know, I would say carnivore diet plus lifting heavy weights is like magic. You know, I definitely recommend that to everybody. Um, my body happens to be especially a fan of lifting heavy weights. Like I adapt well to it. Um, but I, I would recommend it to anybody. It's, it, it really is. You'll feel so great over the long run. Um, read Paul Saladino's book, uh, about carnivore diet. And, um, I, you know, I, I go down in pants sizes all the time and I'm not even trying. I eat like, I stuff my face all the time, but I just eat those kinds of things. I eat fats, proteins, mm -hmm. and, you know, broths, that kind of stuff. I don't eat processed carbohydrates, you know, or any, for the most part, I, you know, if I go out to a restaurant, I'll eat, I'll eat something, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's so easy. And you'll feel so great if you do it, but it, it, it Bitcoin is part of it. Honestly, it's, um, mm -hmm. you know, having, having that group that decided let's all do that, um, together was, was the thing that set me off on that journey for sure. So, uh, I, I had to, great. I had a similar experience when, uh, I just talked about this actually on CK snarks, uh, podcast. Um, I fell down the rabbit hole of, uh, living the deferred lifestyle and realizing I was just wasting my life away by reading the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And then I picked up mm -hmm. one of his follow-up books, the four hour body. And once I'd extricated myself from that deferred lifestyle and just being a chained monkey at a desk and a computer screen with, you know, three monitors or four monitors, whatever it was, uh, I started just eating differently. And there's, there's a big meme within the Bitcoin space that, we've realized, again, a huge lie, the 1992 USDA food pyramid, oh, God. where the whole bottom rung of that is just pasta and breads and wheat and oats and all of these like refined carbohydrates. You know, the, the three ingredients you can pack into any shape, size, um, you know, packaging, whatever, you can just ram in the aisles and slap the the most disgusting marketing on the the one thing was it food inc did you ever watch that that um documentary i, I know of it food but inc? i haven't watched it i'm aware of it it was I either that one or ah oh, no it wasn't it was a documentary called serial killers that really got me angry as fuck and it's when you get that angry that you start taking action, right? If you get angry at the financial system, you will find Bitcoin. Education system, you will find um, alternative education, like homeschooling, world schooling, self-directed education, unschooling. You'll be like, where's this been all of my life? You had no idea it was just the other side of the fence, right? So I watched Serial Killers, and it was all about how the despicable cereal firms, I mean, let's just use Kellogg's as a prime example, how they would go to the, such lengths that they knew which brand of shit and toxic poison 
they were going to be boxing up and putting on a shelf and at which height that shelf would be and the height of the average two to six-year-old that would be craving that shit and the angle at which they would have to have the pupils of the cartoon character's eyes looking down at the kid in the aisle. And you're like, you motherfuckers. And that just got me into this whole rabbit hole of refined carbohydrates and um, that, that, that bottom rung of the food pyramid and realizing all of that was a lie. Um, And I just moved straight, all of that shit straight out of my diet. And I tried to insist that it comes straight out of the whole family's diet. Obviously you have a lot of pushback there because they're designed to be addictive. Mm -hmm. They're designed to be easy right and efficient and when you're running that hamster wheel and you've got to get three or four kids out of the door first thing in the morning to your state indoctrinated freaking educational system the first thing you're going to do is give up cooking the bacon and the eggs which have been demonized and by the way yes i'm british and by the way you fuckers in the u.s that is the best breakfast ever, and we have oh, yeah. amazing food. I, I basically, so go fuck yourselves. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to convince me. Right. Um, but the, the whole thing, mate, comes down to the money's broken. Yeah. Why are we in this perpetual 1,000 mile an hour moving Something's state there. of both parents working? Wake, you know. How aggressive is it to have to shake a five-year-old kid awake to force feed them some toxic shit, to throw them in the back of a car and strap them in and drop them off at a gate that gets locked behind them within three seconds so you can just go and run and jump in your car and go and do some dog shit job that you hate? Yeah. That got a bit ranty. No, I've been known to go there too. No, it really, you know, I, I uh, it really is, I'm a little bit wary of conspiracy theories. I, I think a lot of Bitcoiners are a little too conspiracy theory friendly for my taste, but, but some of them are true. And, you know, the, the food one for sure, you know, mm-hmm. it's about um, agricultural subsidies and turning, you know, corn syrup and, and processed starches, you know, into into lobbying funds basically and i mean you i was watching uh the other night um i was watching a documentary about the first trans-pacific flights in the 1930s so pan am had these flying boats like you've probably seen drawings of them um yeah beautiful they're you know they're they're cool they unfortunately like they all crashed they lost like all of them eventually over the course of like 20 years but um but they uh they are beautiful planes but they so they as they prepared to do this they had to hop their way across the Pacific. So they had to set up, you, I think the longest stretch, they went, you know, LA to Hawaii. And then there was to like Midway Island and then into, uh, you know, Polynesia, other parts of Polynesia. Um, and they had to make all these little stations all the way to the Philippines. And there's footage, and this is from like probably 1934 or something like that, of uh, the ships pulling up to, I think it's Wake Island. Um, it's this tiny little sand spit and it's, it's uninhabitable in its natural form. So they needed to build this little village for mechanics and supply depot and and all that kind of stuff um, for the planes to refuel and, you know, stay overnight or whatever. And um, so they had a ship that pulled up and you see the guys getting off the ship and it's everything from some, 
it's like college students all the way up to these like middle-aged engineers and all that. And they're all just showing them building this thing on the beach. They're all ripped. And these dudes aren't like weightlifters or anything. They're just, they weren't, their diet wasn't full of corn syrup and, and all kinds of sugars. So they all had really low body fat without even trying. And these were like nerds, right? These were engineers. And they, like, they didn't, guys like that didn't go to the gym in the 1930s. Like that, that they didn't have that kind of, of culture back then. And these guys are all ripped and they're like, you know, cause like 40 years old and doesn't work out and he looks really good. It's because they're, they weren't eating back way back then. It was meat and vegetables. It wasn't a bunch of, you know, cookies and tortilla chips and corn syrup, corn syrup, corn syrup, corn syrup. Like they didn't have that. Nobody was, was eating that way. Um, and it's amazing when you see like, what did that look like in real life? Like, oh my God, like most people wish they looked like these dudes who probably didn't even work out. And it's all because of that stuff. It was, and that all goes back to money for sure. You've heard Safedine rant about it. Oh man. Yeah. Very, very, you know, he, he, he says, you know, soy is the base of all evil. And I, I truly believe him. Um, the last year of my, of my professional career, I was uh, stationed in Singapore still and um, put on a, I joined a commodity trading and, and brokerage house and they were brokering, soft oils out of the Southeast Asia. And I got a very close up look at what's going on in the palm oil industry. And that's disgusting. Yeah. Soybean yeah. industry. That's disgusting. Uh, yeah. To the point where I, you know, foreign exchange had been demonized, demonized for, for many, many years. I spent 17 years in that business within two months in the commodity business. I was like, Holy fuck, this is the Wild West. What yeah. is going on here? I saw brown paper envelopes passed under tables. This was just so wrong. And when you understand, when you understand like the like the, the the problem of soy and why these vast areas, especially in the US, I mean, it, here's a rabbit hole we can go down that's gonna be, you know, a challenger narrative as well, like you know, the deforestation narrative and how the how the, the Western in air quotes, civilized developed nations can point fingers at what's going on in Southeast Asia. And you, you're deforesting the, the Amazon rainforest. And like, <laughs> have a look across Europe. Just look across the US Midwest. How many hundreds of millions of acres of grass prairie lands or forests been destroyed for the monocropping yeah. of corn or soy or cranberries? You know, you know, you name it. Yeah. Absolutely criminal. But of course, we have fingers pointed elsewhere. And yeah. the like the, the, the way that soy works and we, you, you have the, the byproduct of, of crushing the. So, yes, you can sell the whole bean. That's great. And you can have that bean and there, there's a market for that. And then there's a market for the oil. And then there's a market for the. Uh, and then the oil gets uh, refracted into two or three different forms of oil. So you have the oil that you can eat, and then you have oil, which is olein, that is a completely different oil. And then you can crush as well. Um, sorry, but what's left after the crush is the meal. That's the soy meal. That gets sold as cattle feed. So instead of our cattle eating grass like it should be, it's eating yeah. this dog shit byproduct of a completely mechanical. Uh, mechanical mechanized um 
crushing system. And then because there's so much of this sludge, it gets pushed into our fuel system and sold as biofuels, again, in complete air quotes, which totally upsets the whole refining process that is already in place and huge amounts of money and redistribution and research and development has to go into refining these things to put them into the existing uh, you know, fuel system that we already had, which is already completely complex. Man, these rabbit holes go so damn deep and it's all because of this base layer of like yeah. the, this, this nonsensical food pyramid. Yeah. It, it really, like when you think of what is the cost of what this sort of eating has done to, to our bodies, like oh my what, God. what is the cost in healthcare? What it, like it, it's extraordinary. And, and not, just, not just people dying, but in quality of life, you know, where <laughs> I, it drives me insane. Like, so where I used to live had a lot of that. Um, and it was, I lived in a town that was like a very blue collar, you know, lumber industry kind of town. And, um, you know, a lot of those people, their, their jobs have kind of gone away, very similar to like the West Virginia coal mining story you hear, uh, lots of drugs because of that and eating like crap. And I, I would go to the grocery store and you'd see like an obese parent is one thing, but you'd see a child who was like a 13 year old kid who was like 300 and something pounds. Like, just think like, by the time that kid's like 25, their knees are gonna be blown out. Like mm -hmm. I mean, diabetes, obviously like just quality of life. Like they kind of joked about it in the movie Wally where everybody's in the lounger, but that's for yep. real. Like that's yep. where you go if you go that way. And, I, you know, but we can actively choose to not go that way, you know, we, and, and Bitcoiners to your point about the Midwest, there is a pretty strong movement. I think in Bitcoin, people talk about wanting to buy ranches and new regenerative agriculture, uh, maybe get bison back on those lands. Um, There's a guy who just, I, I want to give you his name. Uh, he just dropped the website yesterday, Bitcoiner about trying to invest. It's called, uh, if you go to at untapped growth, if you look at his account, um, He's going to be doing a project about getting investors to, uh, to get into cattle. Um, I was just talking with him last night in, in DMs. I don't know too much about his project yet, but he's got a brand new website that just came out yesterday. Um, but he's aiming it at Bitcoiners. Um, but basically to get that going again, because a lot, you, you know, Bitcoin, steak, all the cliches. We all like mm -hmm. to eat meat. Um, and it would be great to own, own a little piece of a cattle herd that's doing regenerative agriculture somewhere and bringing back some of the native grasses and not overgrazing. And I don't have expertise in that, but I would gladly, you know, sometime in the future when Bitcoin's at 800K, give a little piece of that over to that and be part of, you know, and have maybe have my son be able to go see this is what like real food is. And this is where I think knowing where that comes from is, is important too. Um, I've taken a little bit of that journey too, where like, it's not so antiseptic. Like I've had my hands in a, the, the corpse of a cow that just died, you know, or was just killed, um, hundred degrees steaming organs. And that's, uh, man, that's an intense experience. If you grew up where meat comes from a little styrofoam tray, you know, in the grocery store, but it's, it is. it's important. My I've been ringside at some, um, chicken deaths which sounds yeah. pretty like basic but when you actually 
because we're here rural in France, you know, this is just a, a very, very normal thing. You, you go to a 60, 70 or 80 year old person's house, they've got chickens, they kill them, they eat. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go and I wanted to, to find out, you know, how is this done? And can I watch and can I be a part of this? Because I think this is important. And then um, my, my game got stepped up pretty quickly when I went across to a, uh, a sheep killing um yeah. when you know friends of ours they they have a small little um homestead i think you call it in the us or small holding we'd call it in europe and they had i don't know 10 to 15 sheep and he had invited one of his friends that came over and knew how to do it and he was um an algerian guy so they 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 put the flock of sheep into into a pen and that you know they're all pretty happy. Um, the, the the most aggressive part was 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 grabbing one out, and that's just yeah. basically grab a hind leg and drag it out. Mm -hmm. And that was not fun to watch. And I'm like, holy shit, what's going on right now? This is this is bad news. I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. But then they take it around the back of the pen, so it's completely out of sight from from everything else. Then I just witnessed the most amazing thing where the Algerian guy just turned this animal upside down and treated it like it was a dog stroking its tummy in front of the fire. Yeah. And the, and he was just talking to the animal in, in um, wow. Algerian or Arabic or something. I, you know, I, I didn't have the ear for it. And uh, it was a very stressful moment for me uh, witnessing all of this almost put the animal to sleep just by stroking it and speaking with it. And he was probably saying some kind of prayer um, and then cut, cut the animal's throat. And yeah. it, it, it died very peacefully uh, in, in a very quick manner. And then they got to work with removing the, the pelt and the skin or whatever you want to call it and uh, mm -hmm. deboweling it um, and it was a very interesting thing to watch. And the, 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 the reason I did it is because my friend had told me, you know, I, I sell half of um, my flock each year and then regenerate. Would you like some nice lamb? Like, well, yes, because I want to nourish my family on the best meat possible. And I know exactly what's happened with these animals. You've looked after them. They've eaten grass on your land. You, and now I've watched it die. Such an alien thing. And a lot of people listening to this might be kind of like freaked out and weirded out by, by this conversation. But yeah, think how far we've fallen. Our ancestors were doing this literally just to stay alive. If they found a wandering animal, you know, in the forest yeah. or across the, you know, if they, if they were lucky enough. Ago too. I, I mean, I, I think right? for, for most of us, you probably only have to go back three or four generations at most to have ancestors who grew up on a farm and lived like that because it used to be, mm -hmm. you know, 200 years ago, like the majority of the population lived on farms. It wasn't this like, we'll go visit a farm. Just everybody lived on a farm of some sort or another, or was yep. at least like very adjacent to that. Um, yeah. I, I, I saw that. I wasn't actually there when he killed him. But, so I, I feed my dog on a raw diet. So it's raw meat, bones, organs, um, and all the parts are good, like stuff that, you know, as humans, we don't even really touch are good because they have vitamins that are not necessarily in the meat. And, um, so someone we know, uh, also feeds their dogs that way. And she had friends who were farmers in the area and this guy had a, his neighbors had a flock of sheep and 
he has, like you were saying, a little kind of homestead. Um, and he had an amateur butcher shop at his house and it's like hospital clean, beautifully laid out. But he, um, you know, he would take his neighbor's sheep over and it, his was a little less graphic. He basically put a 22 to the back of their head. I mean, we have guns in America and just shot them in the base of the skull with a 22. Um, same thing with his cow, you know, and I would go over right after, uh, it, well, I didn't even time it that way. He just happened to be done when I went over. But, um, you know, I went over and there's a, there's a wheelbarrow full of sheep's heads and there's steam coming off of them because they just died. Um, and uh, the thing is like, I tell people that story and they're like, oh, and I said, well, you eat me, right? I said, well, that, that cow, probably its death was so much better than what the cow you're eat, you know, you eat every day from McDonald's or whatever went through. That cow was standing in a pasture that it is like it's paradise on earth, beautiful green pasture where it is every day of its life. It's at home, it's eating the grass it always eats. Guy comes up behind it with a 22, he doesn't even know, and the cow's dead before it ever knew anything happened. Like that's the way to do it, you know? Um, and I understand that it can't always, they, they can't all be like that, but, um, and I, I don't expect everybody to stick their hands into a, a still heart, hot carcass of an animal, but um, there probably should be a little more mental acknowledgement of this is what it comes from, you know? Cause we, we don't like to think about that. And the fact that we don't like to think about that has led to some systems like, I mean, the, the factory farming system is not something to be proud of. You know, no. there may be an argument for necessity, but uh, it's definitely like if we can change that, we should be changing that, you know, um, but but we we like it to be out of sight, out of mind. And that it is largely driven by by money and what's subsidized and how it's more economical to feed them. But something is Bitcoiners that we can for sure work on. You know, we, we can help finance better systems in the future. Yeah, especially when we're man. eating. Man, that was a weird weird little rabbit hole to go through yeah but you know uh, it's something that uh, a lot of bitcoiners are interested in and can, can relate to i think um or at least something that they're theoretically interested in have, even if they haven't done anything like that you know what else they're interested in is you brought up the word sommelier and there's a lot <laughs> of there's a lot of guys out there and girls excuse me uh who like their their fine wine or their whiskey the whiskey mm. seems to be like the the tipple of choice out there at the moment oh, yeah. i'm not a i'm not a fan myself mm. um i i have a very close friend sir badders you know who you are who uh at hodler than now he um he's a, a very rare whiskey collector um he's he's promised me to take me down the rabbit hole one day of uh, of that world um what what pulled you into I don't know whether I just have like the deadest tongue in the world, but if you were to like taste test me on some of the finest reds, could you, yeah. could you teach me? Do you think yeah, I mean, there, there are what things, to look for? There are things to be learned for sure. Um, so, you know, there, there are people who are a lot better than me at it, but the, so the, the idea of being able to taste the glass and tell you what it is and where it's from and all that, it kind of, for those who aren't into wine that much, it just sort of seems like a, like a parlor trick. Like you're just saying like, oh, look at me showing off what I can do. But the real reason for that is to be able to do that, you have to really have a deep understanding of wine. Um, so what you're basically doing by being tested in that way for you know, the more advanced levels of exams um, is, is showing that you, you know your stuff. It's not to show off that I can do this. It's because in order to be able to do this, 
you need to know this, 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 and this to be able to, to discern these things. So, so for example, um, it's usually pretty easy to tell if something is a new world or an old world wine um, based on things like how like very ripe the grapes are, like the level of like, so high alcohol, high really ripeness wines are generally gonna be from the United States. Um, it's, so here's something that blows people's minds because in America at least, and I, maybe Europeans have the same thing, but from the opposite direction. If you f grab a line of, of latitude on a map in what you think of as like, you know, warm Southern Europe, like Spain, Italy, that area, follow that line of latitude into North America and see where you end up. It's not where you think you're gonna end up. You end up in what we think of as like the cold North in America. Um, the United States for the most part is considerably south of Europe. Like we're not directly across the ocean, we're Southwest by quite a bit. Um, it's a little bit mind blowing. So um, the, because of that, the amount of, uh, of UV and sun exposure that, that a vineyard gets is a lot higher in, in America. So like if you're in, even in, so Napa would be like relatively Northern California. Um, very, very far south of even Southern Europe's vineyards for the most part, um, you know, and then Northern stuff like, uh, you know, Austria or, or German, you know, uh, Rhine Valley stuff, way, way, way far north. Um, so the, the UV exposure is very different. It creates a much more delicate, like a lower sugar grape, a lower alcohol product at the end. That's just one example. So then you combine that with, um, in oaks, like depending on what kind of oak barrel a wine is matured in, there's little nuances that are different. French oak tends to have more of like a little bit of a baking spice aroma to it, um, where American oak has a little bit more of like a dill aroma, or I've had it, I've heard it described as like a fresh cut piece of wood. You get a little bit of that. Um, so then you can go, wait a minute, this tastes like an old world wine. It's like more finesse, a little bit less of a really powerful ripeness, but this tastes like American oak. What's going on there? Well, if you go old world wine, but American oak, okay, this is from Spain. So Spain uses American oak and it goes back to the Napoleonic Wars. They weren't using French oak mm. um, because France wasn't giving them any oak. Actually, most of the oak barrels that, uh, that France uses to this day is, are cut from forests that were planted during the Napoleonic Wars because they were gonna need wood for all their ships, right? They were thinking far ahead of like, well, you need all these masts and planks for the trees. Well, those forests are still here. You have all these oak forests that were planted so that France could conquer the world. And here we are 200 years later and they're cutting them down for, for barrels still. Um, but things like that, it goes, it tastes like an old world wine, but it's got American oak. Okay, now this is Spain. And you can keep going and going and things like that. And then some of it gets into little flavor nuances. Really, I, I'm not like by any means like top level at this. Um, my certification was basically like a book level. And then I, I didn't do the, uh, the advanced tasting ones. I, I, I did level one. I probably could have done my level two. Level three is invite only. Uh, level four is for lunatics. Um, there's, there's a documentary called Psalm about this. And you see what these guys go through. It's mostly men um, to be a level four. And it's, um, I just look at that. I'm like, God, I would go to like, I'd learn to be a brain surgeon or something instead. Like these guys, first of all, they have to work you have to work in a place that's like a very high-end restaurant for wine has a really advanced wine program. And that puts you, that already limits you right there. Because if you're in America, that's basically New York, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, 
you know, not a lot of other, like you have to be in a city that has a major financial center. This goes back to economics, right? Um, because the amount of free, you know, the amount of money that's being thrown around to be able to have a wine program like that. So they spend all day working in that. They come home and they have their tasting groups with their friends, spend hours tasting stuff, making notes, you know, and, and then hours studying and studying. And they do that for years to, to, if you want to hit the master level. And that test is invite only. You know, there's only, uh, I remember seeing the numbers. There's like, there's considerably more brain surgeons in the world than there are master level sommeliers, <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, it's, it is an exclusive club, but it, it largely is like to do it. You have to just, you have to, you have to have the ego for it. And you, it's mm -hmm. one of these things where it's like, I can't not be part of it. Uh, kind of like how Bitcoin is for me. It's like, I, once I got into it, I couldn't not be part of it. I just had to be part of it. I was just drawn to it. Um, you know, for some of these guys, the financial reward is there, but for most of them, it's like, it's just, you have to be crazy, crazy passionate about it. Uh, but it's a cool documentary. It's really, really interesting to watch. And I think they made a sequel to it also. I think it's available on Netflix, but it's called Some. But which did you find it? Did, did you find it kind of ruined your enjoyment of wine? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it does. So, so with, with restaurants for you, I've let some of this go a little bit. So for years in restaurants, I couldn't go to a restaurant and just sit and enjoy myself. I had right. to watch how their systems worked. Um, it just, it was impossible not to, because you're so in that like day in and day out. Um, and you see how they operate, see where they have things stationed, how the wait staff moves, um, how they talk to people, how the menus laid out, like all that stuff. Like you can't help it. You just, you just have to. Um, and, uh, and wine for me, like, I, I'm really, I'm not a snob about it. It's like, if you like cheap wine, go ahead and drink cheap wine. But for me, because it was such a it's such like a holistic experience. It's not just the wine. There's like, you get that intellectual component into it. And that, that really, it increases your enjoyment massively, but it also makes you like a little more like if something's not really that good, it's hard to like pretend that you like it. Um, <laughs> I got super, super tuned into like, like a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot of, but a certain percentage of wine is spoiled. Either the bottle has been allowed to get too warm or when they call something corked, there's a fungus that grows in there. And I've had plenty of people give me a glass like, oh, this wine's so good. And it's like a little bit corked and I can't let it get like, it has this like this mildewy quality to it. And, and some of it's like really obvious, like anybody who's like really novice, you smell and go, oh yeah, that's, it smells like a damp basement or something. Um, but also like it can be just a little bit and you pick that up. And um, so stuff like that is like just off the menu for me completely. Um, but I, you know, I, I could go to a party and drink something that's cheap or whatever, and that, that's fine. But, you know, when I, if I really want to like get into it, if I'm having a really nice meal, I want something special or that's got like, you know, you get big into like trying something that's a little bit unusual, um, a little like, okay, usually this tastes like this, but this is grown in this unusual climate and it adds this character and you just keep trying and trying and trying. It's like, if you're a film buff, I guess, right. You want to find like, yeah some obscure director and you watch every movie they've ever made and you just go down these rabbit holes like we do with, with Bitcoin. I got uh, a question for you, for, for the plebs. The plebs are probably listening to this right now and they're probably thinking, all right, 100K day, I'm going to want a nice steak dinner and yeah. what would be 
Al's top pick or top three picks for the bottle of the bottle of red to go with uh, with the so ribeye or the, the the classic combo would be uh, a cabernet or probably like a bordeaux blend which is so you have the five the five bordeaux grapes they probably teach us in elementary school in france i would assume because <laughs> they're so into their own culture but so you have your your five bordeaux grapes are uh cabernet sauvignon cabernet franc uh petit Fredot, malbec and merlot and so bordeaux blends are going to be some percentage of that um you have ones that are like cab driven you have merlot driven ones but that's like your really that would be like your classic pairing with with a steak um you could also do zinfandel um i would say for like something that's like a really smoky barbecue or something like that zin is great like they really don't so zinfandel in europe is primitivo uh if you have italian primitivo it's genetically the same grape um dna testing has kind of like turned wine classification on its ear because a lot of stuff they thought was one thing turns out to be something else um Primitivo is Infidel, but it's a very different because of that different environment, different latitude, I'll let you have different qualities. Um, what else? If it's lamb, like Malbec would be a really traditional pairing. Um, Argentina grows a shit ton of Malbec. Um, God, what would I really go for? Pro- I, I would say probably a, a Bordeaux blend for sure, or an American Bordeaux blend too. We, we call it, uh, in America, they call it Meritage. Um, a lot of people think it's pronounced meritage because it sounds French, but it was a term that American growers used. It was a combination of merit and heritage because they can't call it Bordeaux or Bordeaux growers get pissed off. Because you, you guys have in Europe, um, you can kind of, I don't know if copyright is the name, but localities, you know, you can't, you're not supposed to call it Parmesan cheese unless it's from Parma and same right. with prosciutto and, and all that. Um and Europe is also much more strict on what can be grown in certain regions to kind of preserve the traditional character of a region. Um, America, you grow whatever you want, wherever you want. Um, but uh, yeah, Bordeaux, I w- for you, I'd say Bordeaux blend because you're, you're close to, you know, you're close to great access for a lot of that. Um, if we're in Miami eating, uh, <laughs> eating Wagyu with Jimmy and American Hoddle, We'll see what's yeah. on the menu and uh, we'll see okay. what we got. I love it. Because I, I, I would love to sit on on that dinner. That'd be fun. <laughs> For sure. Al, we, we have gone left, right, center, oh, up, yeah. down tonight. <laughs> and uh, I've seen the time now. I think we're hitting about almost two and a half hours of, yeah. uh, of cracking into it. Uh, do you have any more time or have you got to head off? Oh, or? yeah. I, I've, I've got time today. Right. I, uh, I have to pick the baby up in about an hour and a half, so I got time. Okay. I did want to ask you something about um, there's a kind of a big meme in the in the in the Bitcoin space about slaying your heroes. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about how you how Bitcoin clicked for you and was listening to Andreas on Joe Rogan's show. Do you do you still tune in or have you no, moved I, on? Oh, to, well, to Rogan or to Andreas? <laughs> <laughs> Rogan. I, I, listened, I listened to Rogan, um, honestly, not as much, not so much because of him, but because of the Spotify app. I don't listen to him as much as I, I would have. Um, it, it doesn't, so I listened a lot in the car to podcasts and the Spotify app doesn't like to interface with my car. It keeps like jumping all over the place. 
that's really the only reason. Um, I, you know, I regret it because I'd love to hear what Rogan's saying these days. Uh, and I can go back and listen to it, obviously. But um, now that he's in, in Texas, you know, he, he only lives, what, about two hours, two and a half hours away from where I am. Um, and he's, you know, he's down there with, he's trying to start this whole crew down there and getting people to move to Texas out of California and Elon Musk there and all that. Um, but I, I still, you know, I'll, I'll kind of binge listen to him now where it's like, I won't listen to him for weeks and weeks and then I'll probably catch two or three episodes in, in a day. Right. Interesting. And, and how do you feel about the, the people that kind of pop their heads up on Bitcoin Twitter and all of a sudden you're like, huh, everything I have thought about you has now completely changed. Are you feeling that uh, at the moment? Um, are you talking celebrities or? I guess like yeah, yeah, blue check mark kind of thing that's going on. And... Uh, well, uh, so are we talking about gauge theory? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what even is that? Yeah, okay. So that, that well, that's an example of somebody who I, so I, having listened to him for a while and he was in that, you know, intellectual dark web joe rogan sphere um you know i I think he's a guy who weinstein's a guy who's really really smart um obviously like probably mathematically you know genius level um and i he did this is something i love about bitcoin he kind of wanted to use his clout that he had in different fields to become a big dog in opining on bitcoin and honestly i think he was speaking a bunch of gobbledygook and you know it didn't and he got called out on it and and rightfully so um i was in that room for a while on clubhouse when he was getting ripped apart i respect him coming back into it um you know because he was entering the lion's den um i think some of it was ego because he heard people were saying bad things about him and he, and he wanted to come back in um and Alan Farrington was freaking hilarious. The, the next few days when he was sort of subtweeting him, um, just saying very, very funny things and kind of putting how his pet theories should be intersected to Bitcoin too, things that have nothing to do with Bitcoin. It was, it was really, really funny. If you go back and, and read Farrington in, in that week or so, um, it, was, it was hilarious. But that's an example. Um, people using their, their clout to, uh, to push shit coins. We've all talked about that. Um, and, and Bitcoin is, you know, we, because of that high disagreeableness we've created, um, and God, people are a hell of a lot worse than me and, you know, you know, you know, their names, um, shout out to American Hall, but the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the crucible, it is an intellectual crucible that we've developed. Um, and I say, we, like, I, I take very little credit for any of that. Um, there, you know, there are, uh, it is an intellectual crucible where you really, you burn away the bullshit till you're left with the pure idea. And I think what people who are newly exposed to that don't understand is what good people Bitcoiners are too, and how much support and love there is there from them. You know, they're not, they're not shooting you down for clout. They're shooting down your ideas because they need to be fixed and purified. And, you know, I think, um, it's probably the same sort of thing. We were talking about the ancient world earlier. If you were in the school of Athens, you know, if, if you were walking with, uh, with Socrates, right? That was what he did. 
I mean, he, it was just like, well, why, 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 why? To the point where you like, you want to punch him in the face because you're like, well, because we, you know, cause this, the sun is hot and he's like, well, why? But like, that's how Bitcoiners are with this stuff. And, um, and they, they boil, they boil it down to like this, this essence and they're not doing it, you know, to just, um, they're not being vicious to be vicious. It's, it's an, it's sort of like an academic environment where you're just being grilled, like defend your thesis. And once that's over, they're great. You know, people are great. I, you know, I'm somebody who, um, you know, I have, I have, I've been accused of having a difficult time accessing my, my emotional side, um, for sure. And, you know, it, it comes out when I talk about Bitcoiners it, and, and certain people in particular, um, you know, I get shaky when I, when I talk about it. Um, and that's not who I generally am in life. Like most, most people who know me would find that really unusual. Um, it happened a little bit when I was on stage at BitBlock Boom, actually. Um, and especially when you think of like my character, you know, the Al character, it's, it seems absurd, but, but, um, you know, I, it's this, it's this amazing group of people, um, you know, and they, they, all they care about is finding what is true and what is real and, and going down that rabbit hole. And, it, you know, um, it's, it's, it's really incredible, but yeah, they're, you know, as we get bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, as Bitcoin gets bigger and bigger and bigger, I should say, and as, as number goes up, um, I think about this a lot. Like how, how are we going to hold on to what we have right now? Um, because Bitcoin's going to become a normal thing. And it's not going to be like me and my group of a hundred buddies from Bitcoin Twitter around the world who have this like thing that's ours. Um, but I don't want to lose that. So we're going to have to think know about what do we, you know, what do we do to hold on to that? And we, we will always be able to have, you know, nobody can stop us from, from having whatever connection we want to have. It just may be, we have to be careful about you know, not letting it be watered down by the normalcy of it all. Um, one thing I think we have going for us is that most people won't want to dive as deep into it as, as we have, you know, the same way that I don't go around discussing debit cards with people all day, you know, it's just going to be that to them, you know, it's uh, to them, True it's enough. just going to be this thing that they use. But, um, but there are, you know, with, with people who are in the dirtbag group, our, our core group, or even people, you know, people who aren't, there are people who I think are going to be with me my whole life, one way or another. Um, and I, I'm trying to make sure that that happens. Um, you know, because it, you know, I, I lived enough life now to know that like, you get these people who are really important people in your life for a while. And then five years later, you haven't seen them in forever. And um, you don't really have any contact with them anymore. And it's not because anything happened. It's just, that's just how it went. Um, and I, I think I've met, I've met some really special people. And to a certain extent, I feel like these are, these are the people that I was always meant to meet, or, you know, and always meant to know. And, and you know, I think of all the years when I, I didn't necessarily connect with people in that way. And, um, you know, I've got to think of how to hold on to that. You know, some of them talk about, well, we should build a town together and all that. And, and that could be cool, but that's also like, you know, life gets in the way of stuff like that, but there's other stuff we can do. Um, and it helps that we're, a lot of us are probably going to be rich. 
Um, so, you know, that, that may make things a little bit easier um, when it comes to that. But, um, you know, the other thing is because we're, I think we are all high in that disagreeable trait, we're going to have to be careful. I don't, honestly, I don't know that you re really would want to have a town full of Bitcoiners. Um, I think you want to have a town that's got. You might want to like, decentralize. Yeah. I, well, plus I, I think you want to have, you want to have like five or 10% serious Bitcoiners. And then you want to have the people that are a little more easygoing. You get a ton of Bitcoiners together and it's going to be like the world's worst. Do you, do you guys have HOAs in Europe? I don't know if you know what that is. I don't know. Um, the uh, a homeowners association is a thing in America where in a development, there's like this little council in your development and they, you know, they, they police like who's not mowing their lawn and all this stuff, but HOAs oh are like nightmares because you always get some petty yeah. little tyrant on it. And then everybody ends up at war with everybody because they have nothing better to do with their life. And, um, I could see that happening because you get people who have this drive and they don't take any shit from anybody and they don't back down. And then you have all of them in one place. Uh, uh, maybe not a good idea. That that could go. Wrong. Imagine, imagine American Hoddle and Francis getting into a uh, uh, oh, a tete a tete over whose lawn yeah. needs mowing. It, like, yeah, it, it can it can be a good thing that some people are in different countries and they only meet on Zoom periodically. For you sure. Know, I've been thinking about the maximalism thing recently because obviously Lex Friedman had pomp on his show and and uh, and that came up. Um, the you know I, uh, you just switch your audio. Can you hear me still? No, I, I can't hear you. You you're gonna have to switch to. Sorry, your well, you hear me now? Yeah, I can. Yeah, okay, okay cool. Um, yeah, so like the 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 pomp. Um, guest appearance on on Lex's show and like the, you know you know Lex getting all whiny and bitchy like yeah I got a PhD and stuff you know what like <laughs> just a classic line I think um, and it got me to thinking what why is this narrative and I tweeted it out today uh, you know the Bitcoin maxi pushback narrative is getting so tiring from from the mainstream economists and and whoever else that just wants to push back and whinge and bitch about oh you guys you, you you have you know there's no kindness in your heart if you want us to all adopt bitcoin you've got to be nicer to us and all this kind of shit and i was thinking you know what our whole lives we've we've been part of this legacy financial world and legacy financiers are you know that they are experts at making us feel comfortable whilst they cleverly walk us into a lifetime of fees and subpar investments and complete yeah. bullshit that gives them immediate gains on the, the upfront and recurring payments throughout their, their professional careers. And we see through that bullshit. Like we see through that bullshit. So I mean, yeah. choose your poison, right? If you're coming to the table, choose your poison. Do you want to be, do you want to be completely misled by a guy that sat you on a, the, the nice leather couch with your wife and offered you a coffee and a macchiato and is wearing a suit and tie and smiling at you while he's absolutely screwing you? Yeah. Or do you want to face down Bitcoin Twitter and hear the hard truths in your face? Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Well, we... Uh... I think we we often I, I see we as as a society not as Bitcoiners but it's true people like to have the the nice smiling story instead of uh, 
you know, instead of the guy who may be a dick, but, uh, but is giving you, like, think about it. Would you, would you rather have, you know, a grandpa who was a bit of a curmudgeon and he was like, you know, an ornery guy, but he, he took you hunting and fishing and taught you about life and all that, but he was, you know, a bit of an iconoclast or would you rather have a grandpa who sat on the couch and, and watched his TV shows and you never learned anything from, and then he died as he lived doing nothing, you know, mm-hmm. um, there, there's some of that. And I, I, I wasn't even from, I probably should have been familiar with Lex Freeman, but I wasn't before all this happened, but um, it's such a, um, it's, it's such a classic example of these people that like, they, they want to come in, not really knowing their stuff and then just be respected because they're them. And like, honestly, like I'm not putting on a show. I don't know who he is. And I haven't really looked into it. I'm just aware that he has a podcast. Apparently it's really popular. I'm not, I'm really, I am surprised I haven't heard of it before this. Um, and that's on me, but, um, but yeah, you can't, you can't just walk into Bitcoin and be like, I'm important. Give me respect. Like, it's like, get out of here. Like, who are you? Um, and, and we all to, you know, to be a little bit sympathetic to those guys. I went through probably in my own head a little bit of a, I just heard Bitcoin and I'm here to fix it phase. Cause when you're learning and you don't, and you don't know as much as you think, you know, you go, why don't they do this? Or why don't they do that? Why don't they do that? But I had the, uh, the fortune of being totally anonymous and didn't have a mouthpiece. So those thoughts were kept to myself. These guys have a big megaphone and they're shouting ignorant things into it, but they don't, they don't realize not realizing it's ignorant is one thing, but then once you people are explaining to you, but then you keep fighting back, that's, yeah, that's fiat world where you're told, be a good boy and do your homework and you'll get this degree and you'll get this degree and you'll get this degree and then people have to respect you. Be respectful to people who should be respected. Don't be respectful to people because they're demanding to be respected. Um, you know, if, if he comes around on things and, you know, I'll, I'll respect him. And we go the other way on that too, right? We, uh, Trace Mayer was a, demigod in, in Bitcoin. And now he is, uh, you know, people wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. He's, he's <laughs> on the outs. He's persona non grata. Uh, and that, that's a guy, like when I got into Bitcoin, that was one of the only podcasts when I first started. Um, and I used to listen to that guy religiously, but yeah, you, mm-hmm. nobody's, nobody's above it, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. We can take it a little bit. Like I would say, it's really good that we're like that as Bitcoiners. No one should be above it. But also don't go on witch hunts for people and try to find it where it doesn't exist. Um, I don't know that there's been any high profile versions of that yet, but I, I'm going to keep it anonymous because I don't want to involve this person in, in an argument. But um, so there's someone that you probably know who they are. Um, they're, they're part of the, the larger dirtbag crew. Um, not like anywhere near like Andreas level or anything like that. But, um, but this person was, I think their journey originally was they were involved on like a message board on a shitcoin project uh, years ago and before they really understood things. And then they started to see better and um, they're, you know, pretty much a hardcore max or they are a hardcore maximalist now and people still bring it up. Like, like um, it's some unforgivable sim, like, like you worked at Auschwitz or something, you know, when they find these old prison guards who worked at Auschwitz and they, they put them on trial. Like, it's not the same thing. Like we all went through a phase of where we had to learn. Um, and, you know, I, I owned a, 
tiny bit of Ethereum when I first started because I heard that this was an interesting project and whatever, and I didn't get it. Like, if some, does somebody want to crucify me for that four years later? Like, you know, it, it's, and, and I still see people go after this person once in a while and they think that they're like being really clever doing that. It's like, what, what's your point? Like, you know, this, this, this sort of purity test is insane. If somebody's scamming someone now actively, sure. If somebody was interested in a shitcoin project because they didn't understand things and now they say, oh, now that I get it better, yeah. Then what, what are you doing, you know? So that that's that's where the immune system becomes kind of the autoimmune disorder where your body starts attacking itself. Luckily, we haven't seen too much of that, but I love the immune system. We don't we don't take any any bullshit. And the guys who really put themselves out there, I, I think it's, it's great. Um, you know, American Isle taking down Trace, who was one of his heroes. Um, you know, that that was that was a gutsy move. Like he didn't have to do that. You know, he could have kept quiet about that. Um, you know, people turning on Andreas a little bit. I, I will always have a bit of a place in my heart for Andreas because that was, like I said, that was my Beatles moment, right? I wouldn't be into this if it wasn't for him. But he says stuff sometimes where it's like, come on, man, like, you know, that's, you know, and I don't think he's like, he's not really profiting from it in the way that like somebody who's, who's offering a pre-mined shitcoin or whatever it is, but he's still like, you know, like, I, I don't know. I think it's very political with him personally, but um, he, he has political differences with Bitcoiners. And, and so he, he refuses to become a maximalist over that, but it's like, you, you know, he should be smarter than that, but that's an example of like, being a little too into the tech and not looking at the big picture, but it's um, it's going to keep us on the right track. And I, you know, when you dive into the history of Bitcoin, it's a miracle that we made it this far without going astray in all those ways. It's a miracle, but it's because of that stuff that we've stayed on the right track. Yeah, truly is, mate. All right, let's let's round this up a little bit. Uh, I want you to tell people about Dirtbag Friday in sure. case anyone listening has heard you talk about it and doesn't understand yeah. what it is and the group that you run uh so go for it chill sure so dirt dirtbag friday came along um honestly it was a good thing that grew out of covid lockdown um and there's a bigger lesson there i think but um you know everybody was going to be home on friday night anyway um i had originally i wanted to start a group originally that was like really serious about studying technical aspects of Bitcoin because I'm, you know, I'm weak there. Um, I'm not a coder or any of that. Um, and I actually, I went so far as I have logos for this group I was gonna do and, um, and it was supposed to be serious. And then Al came along um, and it ended up, it ended up where, so we had this, uh, this Zoom meeting on, on, on a Friday night in, it was actually just a little over a year ago um, was the first one. Um, and uh, it went really well, had, you know, uh, I can't thank it. I, you know, our, our, my biggest supporters there, um, you've got, you know, Katie on, you know, you've got uh, Surfer Jim, um, who else? All, all the guys, I, you know, I'm thinking of names that you would really know well, um, you know, God, I'm forgetting people are blanking right now, but you've got, you know, Full Metal, uh, Joe Rogers, um, I have Joe Dirty is in the group now because I heard him on your show. Uh, who else? Um, Beef for Bacon. Hey, if you're interested in lightning, by the way, check out Beef for Bacon. He is going to be teaching people lightning. I'm shilling for him. Um, who else? Um, 
You got Phil in there, right? Uh, oh, Phil, yeah, Mr. Sue Phil is in there a lot. Uh, I have Phil used to uh, fall asleep during Dirtbag Friday. I have pictures of him, <laughs> I think, on my Instagram, falling asleep. He would set up his camera and he would lay down on his pillow and he would fall asleep um, back in the early days. Um, yeah, just I, honestly, some of you are going to kill me in the Telegram group later because I didn't mention you by name, but you you, you know you know who you are. Um, and uh, you know, I, these people are are so important to me. Um, but we 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 basically do something like this. We talk about it's centered around Bitcoin, but talk about anything. And it can go on. People drop in and out during the night. Um, it can go on sometimes seven eight hours. Uh, a lot of times I'll leave hours before it even ends, um, and people just sit and talk about stuff. But I, uh, you know, it's. It's a really cool thing. If anyone's interested in joining, you can hit me up in DMs. Um, I, I don't really police it too much. Um, you know, we're, I, I do try to keep it from getting like ridiculously big, but that hasn't very often been a problem. You know, we, we've once in a while, we've had like 30 something people in there and you, it does get a little unwieldy, but, um, but that doesn't happen too much. Um, and for me, it was so cool because like, as I'm this, you know, I'm this pleb and my life has been obsessing over Bitcoin for a few years at this point. And I've got guys coming into the group that are like, these were like my rock stars, right? You know, um, you know, Stefan Levera is dialing in from Australia and, or like Matt Adele's coming in or, you know, uh, John Vallis, who's great, is coming in. And um, it, it's amazing to see like, oh, I can like interact, like I can make this part of my real world. Uh, and the, I'll tell you, um, the moment where like, it was really like, wow, to me was, um, so I, I first went to Bitblock Boom in 2019 and I wasn't Al yet at that point. And I was, you know, I was someone who was interested in Bitcoin who knew and nobody knew who I was. And I'm just like being around all these people. And that was pretty amazing. And then 20, I'm sorry, 20, was it 2018? Yeah. 2019. And then 2020, um, when we had Bitblock Boom, it was, I go in, I'm sitting by the pool and there's all these people from the Turpag group. And it's like, it's like this, this family just sitting together, like people who know each other really well. And for a lot of us, we'd never been in the same room together ever. And I'm just sitting there and it's like, I've got like 15 people that are like my good friends and I'm not this stranger in this, this conference. And, um, you know, it was amazing. It really was, it really was amazing. And, uh things you know things will have to change as time goes along and there'll be different versions of it but i i don't want to let that go you know i i want to um i want to be able to have that in some way um and and you know I'll, we'll think of things you know and th there are nights where uh, we've had a couple where i don't even show up at all because i've got something to do and i let somebody else take over and I, don't, I barely do anything anyway at this point. I just hit go and, and it runs itself. It's really about the people who, who attend it. Uh, but I, I don't want to lose that feeling. And, and, you know, I've seen some of the, the members of the group have, you know, they've found their way into jobs in the Bitcoin field and all that. And it's, it's so gratifying to see that. And, and you wonder, like, what are these people going to become? Um, Somebody you gotta have on who's in your more in your time zone. Uh, are you are you familiar with Jackie? He's uh, I think it's at Geki. Oh my god! So he was one of our first. So he's this like 16, 17 year old Italian kid lives in Milan. Right. He is 
A, he's hilarious. B, he's brilliant. Um, I mean, he and he's he really is like the kid is one of a kind. He was one of our first people to come to this, um, you know, and uh, and for, he was at ground zero of, of COVID when Milan was like really being hit hard, and his mother's a doctor, and um, just to he would stay up to like five in the morning to come to it. You'd see the sun come up in his room, and it was just like. I've got people all over the world and they're so interesting and such a cool group. And, um, you know, I had, uh, there's a, another guy who's one of the Zoomer generation who came to it, who he stopped me at BitBlock Boom. And he, he basically, he works for a, a Bitcoin company or a Bitcoin related company now. And, um, and he was saying to me like how he, he got a job out of basically, we kind of memed it into, into existence uh, out of Dirk Craig Friday. And I'm like, Ugh, like I want to cry hearing that, like yeah. the, the way that we've changed like this guy's life. And I mean, it's so, it's so meaningful, you know, and I, I don't want to let go of that, um, that idea. It doesn't have to be that form necessarily. Right. But um, maybe, maybe there will be like little get togethers around the world or little, little conferences or something like that, or who knows, but I, I, I don't want to let go of that. I think there's something deeper there that, um, in my life has been missing. And I think maybe a lot of us has, has been missing. Um, we talk about this world where everybody's like disconnected and we, we lose community and all that. But I, um, you know, I want to, I want to keep it going and, and deepen those connections and find new forms they can take and, um, and, and make people's lives better. You know, and I, I want to sit around having a drink and 20 years ago, oh man, remember that when you, you did this and that and and now you're like the CEO of like bit whatever and you know, cause that's gonna happen. Like that's that's yeah. a real thing, that's gonna happen. I think about that. I think yeah. about that a lot. Like, you know, what's this gonna look like in 20 years time? And we're, we're at the very tippy top of this pyramid that's just only just emerging out of the sand, right? And it, it's gonna grow so high um, and, what kind of conversations are we going to be having in 10 or 20 years? It's uh, and I've just, I, I found Jackie on Twitter as you were just talking then. Yeah. I was following him. I've just DM'd him said, yo, Al says I should get you on the show. So let's see if, uh, if he picks it up. Oh, and ask him. Uh, so we talked a little about classical education, that sort of thing. He goes to a classical education school in, in Italy. Um, okay. Everything he says is twice as funny because of his accent too. It just, <laughs> but um, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. He's honestly like, ask him about American Hoddle buying him a PlayStation. Uh, he could tell you that story. Um, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a really, really smart, really, really funny kid. And that's one too, where it's like, you know, watch this space. Like what's he going to be in, in 10 years? Like, God, like, I, I think of what I was when I was his age and like, I didn't know what the hell was going on with the world. And he, he's already got Bitcoin and he's like dialed into this and I, I'm envious in a way, you know, but yeah. And it makes me bullish as fuck for, for future generations. All right, man, I'm going to hit you with it. I'm going to hit you with it. Uh, if you had one orange hard. pill. I've been thinking about this for days. <laughs> uh. Who would you give it to and why? Yeah, I mean, so everybody says the same thing now, right? As I would have said Elon Musk, but he's already got it. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Michael Saylor. Yeah, well, yeah. Which, Saylor, did, did you did you see the clip that Ali from Tahini's put out? 
Uh, he no. he found he found the original episode I did with Michael Saylor. I've done two: one with Saylor Solo and one with him and Jeff Booth. And the Orange Pill Quest answer that Michael Saylor gave was he just kind of looked at me. He's like, "Huh? Well, I guess you give it to the richest guy in the world." Yeah, and then he went and fucking did it. Unbelievable. Yeah. Being a billionaire has its privileges, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yes. You could just call up other billionaires and, and do it um so here's uh here's one where i think i'm gonna say because i think maybe he already has it um maybe he knows but he can't say um i hope because i would say musk if he wasn't already there but i i hope jerome powell gets it um I, I have a gut feeling that some of these guys at that level that that we think are the enemy and, and maybe are, and, you know, they are the enemy in some way, but I think some of them might understand this is the only way out. Um, you know, I, I think they might know it's, we have gone so far overboard with the money printer that they're, they just think at this point, it's not even like they won't do what they what they have to do. At this point, I think it's the point of like, nobody even knows what they have to do. Like we're so far over the line that to reel it back in is like, I mean, it's like saying, um, well, we could, we could cure your flu as long as we drop a nuke on your city. Like that's just, we're so far over the line that it's like, we don't even know how to undo this at this point. Um, and, you know, I talked about money printer in 2008, like, that's a joke compared to what we're doing now. And it's like every week it's another, Oh, I, here's my new $4 trillion stimulus package. And here's my $4 trillion. This, like, dude, it's $4 trillion every couple of weeks. Like, how is it like, what are we like? There's, it cannot be undone. We have, we have done something that cannot be undone. And I, I hope, and I'm not religious, but hope and pray at uh, on some level that, that the guys at that level at the fed understand it's this is our only way out and i i think it is uh, i think they do understand that on some level because you've got i had a conversation with um i i started a few weeks ago the uh houston bitcoiners meet up with uh, a guy named jeff meyer who's on twitter um he and i were having this conversation and he he was talking about like i can't see them just letting it go like they're not how are they just letting this like they're not going after it um They've got to have one thing left up in their sleeve, right? And and when Powell was saying last week in front of Congress, I think um, how Bitcoin is going to replace, you know, is going to be the new gold. Basically, he, he didn't use those terms, but he was saying that like he was granting Bitcoin legitimacy as this like store of value asset in the way that gold was. Um, and he's like, but they own gold and they don't own Bitcoin. Like, how can they do this? Like, the only thing I can think of that makes sense is like they know it, they know what we know, or they they at least know enough. But if you're Jerome Powell, you cannot say that, right? You cannot go out and publicly say, oh yeah, the dollar is totally fucked, it's Bitcoin, because you will destroy the economy the next day. Like there's gonna be runs on, on banks like you've never seen in your life. Like, you know, everybody's gonna try to clear the bank out and buy Bitcoin immediately. Like this guy wields power like you can't imagine with a, with a sentence. I think they know, but I hope, I hope he does. So I... I need it to be, we need a couple more years 
to really, really get things in place, I think. And then, you know, and then it won't matter. So I, I hope he and guys like him are, are orange filled. They may not like it, but I think, I can't imagine you're sitting in the Fed looking at everything that's happening going, yeah, we'll, we'll unwind this. Really? How are you going to do that? Like they know they can't. They know they can't. They're just praying for something to come along to save them. And this is, Bitcoin is, is the answer to those prayers. Because um, what else, if it's not Bitcoin, what is it? Nuclear war? <laughs> I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is it. This is the shot. And this yeah. again ties back into, this is why we're pretty freaking succinct about this message. And if, um, if, if people feel that they're getting pushed back and not being treated kindly by, by people that see that, then, you know, that's just part of their journey. Maybe that's their first touch point. Yeah. Um, mate, I think this is going to go down as a record. I think that's a three straight hour yeah. rip. So I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show. Well, it's uh, been great. Honestly, I, um, and I'm not saying this to kiss your ass because I'm on your show. I, I really love your show. I've loved it for a long time. I think everybody should know about your show. Um, it's really good. You serve a niche. You, the, I, I was mentioning the other day, you and Vallis, you had Vallis on. The two of you guys together are really, I, I love both of your shows. I think you guys serve a niche that is, you know, it needs to be, it needs to be serviced. And it's, um, it's not the technical angle. It's not the uh, what went on this week angle. And those are all great too. And those are all necessary. Um, but you guys just come at it from a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a different view and it's it's awesome i really that you guys are must listen to um i will definitely pimp the hell out of this on my twitter account when it when it posts um hopefully everyone will, will listen and, and get them but keep doing what you're doing because i uh it's really fantastic um please try to make it to miami i know you guys are you know limited by by the draconian rules. Um, there's another Bitcoiner out there who she's talking about going, she's in, well, I don't want to dox her, but she's, she's in your area. Um, she's talking about going through Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, uh, whatever you guys need to do to get there, it, it's going to be awesome. So looking appreciate, forward to it. Appreciate the kind words, man. Really do. It's yeah. been great to, uh, I know we've DM'd in the past before and we've bounced ideas off of each other, uh, yeah. but to actually, and I, you know, the first time I chatted with you was uh, as a guest host on Toxic Happy Hour, but yeah. to, to have you on the show and really go deep on some of these uh, ideas of yours uh, is brilliant. I think it'd be fitting if we, if we signed off with uh, the way we signed on with a few bird noises. So, you know, feel, okay. feel free to, you know, All right. if you want to freestyle something. Yeah, All right. who, who wants to go? Do you want to well, go? Well, you go first because I, I, I think of the way I want to end the uh, my my bird noises. Oh, we we can throw a couple on there if you. It's it's entirely up to you. So uh, hang on. <laughs> Your family's gonna be like, what is going on? <laughs> My wife's right. next. My in the next room. It's midnight. Me, what the fuck? Sup, Marty? Beat that. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
But my yes! dog is literally my my office door has a glass window. She's looking through, giving me this "What are you doing?" face right now. <laughs> We're probably killing the listeners' ears as well. So yeah. Probably, your apologies for that. All right, Al. Take care, brother. Have a great uh, afternoon. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening and thank you Al for taking all of that time out of your day to come on the Once Bitten podcast and have that discussion with me, which I hope everybody enjoyed and got a lot out of. Uh, Apologies to those listening that were having a bit of trouble with the audio. Al and I were clearly on different gains and I'm struggling with internet bandwidth problems at the moment here in France so uh, it's, it's all a little bit difficult and I endeavor to make it better I am trying my best uh, so stick with it and apologies for for that I hope you guys reach out to Al if you were not aware of him already go find him on Twitter at Al's Lacrosse you can go join the Dirtbag Friday as well hang out on his weekly zoom call because it sounds like so much fun Unfortunately for me, I think it starts around 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, so that's not uh, a party I don't think I'll ever be seen at, uh, unless I get to the States, uh, which I hope to do for the Miami Conference. I hope uh, a lot of the plebs are going to be there as well, and a lot of the entrepreneurs in the space and artists and whoever else is going to be looking to head over there. So fingers crossed to meet some Bitcoiners in real life. Al, take it easy, brother. Thank you so much again. I hope you get a lot of good feedback from this episode. So guys, before we sign out, I want to shield my book to you. It's Choose Life. I wrote it uh, in the back end of 2017. Uh, Released it, I should say. Uh, I've been getting some really good feedback about it lately. I've appeared on a few other podcasts. Uh, I've always retweeted them. So you can just go find them on... um, on the retweets and actually I'll add them to the website it might be a good idea once-bitten.com if you head to that website you can read the introduction to that book I'm thinking about playing around with releasing audio episodes of chapters as well rather than just do the audiobook or do both I don't know it's in the front of my mind thank you everybody for listening really appreciate it you know who the show sponsors are if you don't check on the website If you want to know, coinfloor.co.uk, it's relay.ch, it's swanbitcoin.com, and it's shiftcrypto.com, all forward slash bitten. And thank you, everybody, so much for listening.